Oh man, we're doing hard things. Mr. Bassetti. Dude, I'm mind blown. My brain's like a hundred miles an hour. All the things we've been talking about the last couple of days. And yeah, I want you to actually kind of talk about that. The, the hormone stuff. You could come from a background of like powerlifting, setting world records. But for me, <clears> I got I got some TRT, some testosterone helped tremendously. What are your thoughts around steroids, TRT, testosterone, just overall like foundational health stuff when it comes to hormones? Yeah, that's a great question. So I believe man should do everything in his power to have the highest testosterone possible within personal reason. Meaning if you have low testosterone, like the majority of Americans are plagued with right now, men and some women, whatever you're into, if you find yourself having low testosterone, you should be supplementing, dieting, eating good food to raise your testosterone levels. But if you find yourself in a space where like, dude, this is just, it's not enough, it's not working. And you decide to do TRT, that's your own personal choice and decision. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that is taking steroids. I believe that is just raising your testosterone levels. Yeah, we're seeing a lot, at least I have, because I've gone down that path. Before I started taking some testosterone, I was working on like the lifestyle stuff. A lot of stuff we've been talking about the last couple of days of you being in town and talking through my business, talking through my brand, talking through even the podcast here and all the things that we're building right now and that you're helping me with. But it's usually like, okay, what can I do right now? My lifestyle, right? So getting more sleep, eating higher quality food, more water intake, just overall better lifestyle. And a lot of things we've been talking about in business as well, like making some of these business decisions, investment decisions based on lifestyle, right? So you're not like really anchoring yourself down. Um, But a lot of people know you, man, for again, powerlifting, Zach Hommel power, they're stopping you in the streets of Indy, you're a legend. And in reality, I'm like, dude, this guy's a fucking genius when it comes to like overall mindset and like intuition and like emotional intelligence, but building a brand, a personal brand. What I'm personally discovering, you got to build a personal brand and that personal brand is going to build anything and everything else. In a sense, building a personal brand is building yourself, no matter what that may be, better mindset, better skills, whatever that may be. A lot of people know you for fitness, pulling 700 pounds off the ground, doing Ironmans now. I've genuinely just been pretty mind blown the last couple of months. Like, oh, wow, this guy really understands branding. What's the number one takeaway someone can take when it comes to building a personal brand? They don't know where to get started. They don't know how to get to that next level. What's the number one takeaway? Live an interesting life and document it. Mm. So nobody wants to follow a brand that's boring. But if you have an interesting way of living and going about your life, it makes building a personal brand 10 times easier. But if you live in the city and you wake up and you go to your job and you go to the random Globo gym and you come home and then you watch Seinfeld and you go to bed, when there's nothing interesting about your life. And, and this is a big problem with social media because we're getting these dopamine hits across the platforms. So we don't have to get our dopamine externally. We can get it internally within our home. We can get it internally within our cubicles and within our specific environments because of our smartphones, of our devices. I believe it's really important for all of us to acknowledge 
that we are addicted to our phones, that we are addicted to technology, that it's driving dopamine uh, mm-hmm. on, a, on, a, on a basis that we've probably never seen in human civilization, at least documented within the last 10,000 years, because I do believe there's been more intelligent species that lived on earth prior to 10,000 years ago, but we can get into that in a little bit. Maybe they're still here. They still might be here. <laughs> but I think it's important to recognize our, our dopamine and where we're getting our dopamine from. And if it is, you know, obviously from our smartphones and our devices, I know I'm getting it from there. I'm the first one to say like, I'm uh, growing social media channels. I'm on the phone with people. I get a lot of the dopamine from the work that I do. And it's great. But it's also important for me to, to put that down and go out and actually live an interesting life. And then I can document it and then share it and then get dopamine from it. And you've really built that brand around like a message and mission, right? Which is do hard things. And so whether you're powerlifting, whether you're coming onto a podcast, whether you're doing really anything, it's it's that that whole premise. And I think that's one thing I'm, re- I'm recognizing in people's life, in my life, in businesses, creating that like overall personal mission, that personal mantra, building that personal identity. And again, for you, it's, it's do hard things. So whether that is powerlifting and people come to you and say, why are you not powerlifting anymore? It's because I evolved into doing X, Y, Z, but it still flows back to doing hard things. And that's where you're getting maybe that dopamine rush from, right? Oh, no doubt. See powerlifting while challenging, um, deadlifting 700 pounds and squatting 700 pounds while challenging, while hard. I had done it for 15 years. So the hard thing become monotonous to me. So if I was going to challenge myself physically to actually do something hard, it was actually running a mile. I couldn't run a mile. I couldn't touch my toes. I was so tight. So the hard thing for me physically at the time was getting mobile enough to touch my toes, running one mile, running a 5k. Mm. Oh, I'm going to go run an Ironman. Like these became my new hard things, but the do hard things model, it exists far outside of just the physical realm. It's a way, it's a mental model for me to examine the areas of my life that are challenging and that are presenting resistance. Oftentimes when I see an area of my life presenting resistance, it is the way, it is the path. So if I'm having this anxious energy inside of my home, because I can just tell my wife and I, we're just not connecting. The hard thing is having the hard conversation. Mm. The hard thing is not going out and running another marathon. That's easy. I've been running a marathon. It's fine. The hard thing at that time though, is having that hard conversation with my wife or reconnecting and rebuilding a friendship that, you know, we've, we grew apart. So the do hard things motto can exist mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, And it's just a mantra to go about into the fire, like do the hard things. And what it does, it creates this confidence within the individual when they conquer the hard thing, which gives them back the personal power, which I believe fights the culture narrative of the victim mindset. And that's what this show is all about, right? Step number one, I believe to living the life that you want, building generational wealth. It's all about ending that, that victim mentality. I believe most people are peasants, right? And not peasants in terms of being like, a slave to society necessarily, or to their boss or to their significant other or to their friends or to their day. Sure. But most importantly, most people are are victims and slaves to themselves, to their own mind. There's zero chance you're going to make more money, build generational wealth, at least in my personal opinion, unless 
you end the victim mentality, right? And one thing we've discovered with you being in town the last couple of days is where you're helping me significantly is the do hard things for me is actually just working, working less and smarter. I figured out the game of money. I figured out how to work 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 hours a day. Uh, that's, that's easy. But then it's understanding the do hard things for some people is sitting in a room and just meditating, getting 10,000 steps in. Right. And that's, I think that's a big takeaway for people listening to this because sometimes you feel a little crazy when you're like, wait, I can, I can, it's, it's literally hard for me to work less. It's hard. We're going through my calendar, right? It's hard for me to like block things off. Like you are not working during this time, right? Like we need to keep this space open. So I think that's a huge takeaway with do hard things. It's not necessarily running Ironmans, lifting the weights. A lot of times it's the conversations, communicating, ending the victim mentality. So I can relate to that. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head too. And when when you're doing the hard thing, like running the Ironman, like starting with the physical, I believe is great. I believe that if you're overweight, you're out of shape. Uh, Before you start worrying about meditating and journaling, all good practices, all good. But if you can take care of your physical health and prioritize it first, everything else just begins to fall into place. So the do hard things mantra should, the main pillar is going to be physical fitness. It's going to be pushing yourself and challenging yourself physically. Because when you overcome something with our physical organism and it achieves, there's this level of dopamine, personal power and belief that comes in. You're like, man, I wonder, I wonder how I can replicate this mm-hmm. in other areas of my life. And then all of a sudden I go to open my business. I have $730 in my bank account when I'm opening an iron valley barbell. But it's not hard for me. I was working in a coal mine for 12, 14 hours a day for three years. So working in a gym for 10, 12 hours a day is nothing. This is easy. It's paradise. It's paradise. I've, I already made it. I had $700 in my bank account. I'd already made it because I was doing the work. I was in process. A lot of people think that like when you make it, it's a destination. My mindset has always been that if I'm in process, I've made it. Mm-hmm. Because overcoming resistance to do it is the true, is the true win or loss. Many people stay quote unquote peasants because they allow resistance to conquer them. I've realized that if I can just be resist, it doesn't matter if I succeed or not. What matters is the process. Am I in process or am I not in process? Mm -hmm. I'm in process. I focus on what's in front of me. That's all I can control is what is in front of me today. And I conquer, I, I lose whatever it is. The next day I line back up again to fight the battle again, day in, day out, day in, day out. And this builds resiliency. And I believe that resiliency needs to be a model that more people adopt as well. I know you have a great model on resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. I would love, I would love, <laughs> turn, let's turn to uh, who's hosting here yeah, for a second. What, what's yeah. going on here now? Yeah. We were talking about it. Just um, my first ever ultra marathon race, right? Like we were talking in the gym yesterday, what separates successful people? I personally believe it's stamina. Right. And the first story, what, what I'm going to steal from you here is the mental model is going back to my first ultra marathon, 24 hour race, one day for the KIA, where you raise money for the military killed in action. That's something that, you know, I respect dearly or people that, you know, serve our country. And I'll just never forget the story of 4 a.m. in the morning. It's freezing cold in the middle of March. If you know Ohio weather, you know that. It could be 60 the day before and freezing cold. And I'm sitting in the medical camp 
mile 76, broken. I've never ran more than 10 miles up to that point. And I'm signing up for an ultra marathon. There's no coaches, no trainers, what to eat, what workouts to do. I go out there, mile 76, one day for the KIA, 150 people lined up for the race. They're all shredded in great shape. I'm looking around, what the heck's going on? And I hit this moment where this veteran, I'm in the med tent, they're checking out my hamstring, feels like it's just ripped off my back of my leg, left foot's broken, just came off of essentially a seizure, vomiting. They said, look, you got 10 minutes. You got 10 minutes. If you're not out of this med tent in 10 minutes, you're disqualified. And this old man, old army vet, military vet, whatever he was, goes, huh, we got another one. And I go, who the fuck is he talking to? He ain't talking to me. It's just 4 a.m. Like I said, I just had like a seizure. I'm mile 76 running around this one mile loop oh, torture. at the Ohio State University. And I get off the, I get off of the, the bench that they had me on, right? Like the med tent vent or the med tent uh, bench, lace them back up, finish the race. But for one mile, for 24 hours, you're just running in a circle, right? And I think there's a lot of correlation to that story and, and bringing that up to you yesterday and us kind of talking through it here again. That's how most things are, right? Like most things in your life, at least what I found success with is like just doing the one mile loop, right? The one mile loop. And most importantly, when I lined up for that race with 150 people there, everyone's in better shape than me. Most of them have already ran an ultra marathon. I had no idea what I was signing up for. So that chatter starts to come in. That chatter starts to come in. But that's when I realized I was built different. Mm. Right. That's when I realized, yo, I got stamina. There's something in me that like, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Everything's all about what's on you on the inside. That's why I'm such a big believer of ending that victim mentality. That's why I say, yo, you can't be a peasant. And when you say the word peasant, it feels a little weird when you hear it. It's supposed to. Because most of us are a peasant. We're a slave to our own mind. You're looking around at your job, in your business, your business partners, and you're a slave to your own thoughts. You start making up these stories. There's 149 people here better than me. There's no way I'm going to make it. Out of the 150 people, there's seven of us that fucking finished. Come on. Come so, on. Let's go. 100, 100 miler. And, and that's just what I've learned, man, is uh, the, the underdog mentality. Right. It's just like that stamina. It's that stamina that block the outside noise. People are going to project like the old man did. We got another one. Uh, you got the wrong one, my guy. You want to hear the chat. Now, how is that related over now, that power that you built being one of, you know, seven out of 150 people are lined up? What did that do for your confidence, your personal power outside of the event? How did that parallel over into you? having the success that you have across multiple businesses, now a personal brand and, and not just that, but also relationally. Like I'm, I'm in your home. Thank you, by the way, for your hospitality. 
I'm in your home. Poppy actually. loves you, by the way. Yeah, Poppy. If Poppy likes you, I like you. It's all good. I'm a big dog guy. I'm like dogs over people. Same. But you have a lot of harmony, like in your relationships as well. We're both connected to a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. Everyone always has really good things to say about you. How can you relate that one mile loop and that that personal power that you built across the board into the other areas of your life? <clears throat> Are you the host now? Man, you're asking me the hard questions. Here we Look are this. doing Look hard at this things. Guy. I'm trying to like get the spotlight off. Oh my gosh. I got the camera guys over here staring at me. Look at these guys. We've talked so much, man. Uh, it's been crazy. Like the last couple of days has been super transformative. I think maybe for both of us mm-hmm. as well, because we're so connected and kind of like the same circle, but we actually haven't been able to spend a lot of close time together. And I have a shitload of respect for you, man. And it's been really cool to see how you are in person as well. And as far as like the one mile loop, like just kind of growing up with my story, the short fat kid, small town, lost my father when I was eight years old, the underdog, man, the underdog. And every single time I am not in control of my destiny, I I experience chaos, chaos of my own mind. Things get out of harmony. But when I have control, right, for my actions, my thoughts, my decisions, I thrive every time. Because I think it's so easy. That doesn't mean that it's bad to have someone making decisions like a business partner, like a significant other. It's just, I know that I can go in day in and day out because I love what I do. But if I'm not doing something I love, that one mile loop, I'll get broken. Mm. I'll be one of the 143 people that, that gave up and I don't blame them. Right. So it's really just like that mentality of like, does this actually serve me? Do I actually want to be doing this? Do I have control? Am I building this to build generational wealth? And then just that one mile loop, man, it's just being consistent Right. How, how do you, how do you build confidence? That's really what you're saying, right? Like, how do you build confidence? You build confidence by doing hard things. Mm. I'm running a mental race every single day. Like most of us are. That's why I got to go boxing and get my ass beat in the gym, dude. I got to do like the opposite. I got to go do something physical. I got to go drain my body physically. So I'm not laying in bed anxious about 37 things going on and all these businesses, but you build that confidence and that certainty by being fucking consistent. And that's what that one mile loop is. It's being consistent. Mm -hmm. I don't want to run the one mile loop every day, but I'm committed, right? I'm committed. Then you're consistent. Then you build certainty. Then you build confidence. Man, so what I heard out of that, you, you mentioned this part, you said, I like what I do as well. So it makes it easier to run the one mile loop, maybe not verbatim easier, but you said, I like what I do. Do you think a lot of people struggle with burnout and maybe even giving up or uh, peasant mentality because they're, they're not actually doing what they innately know they're supposed to be doing? hundred percent. And keep in mind, I think, I don't know this yet. And, or I don't know if I'll ever know this and that's okay. Like there's just some stuff I think I'll be doing that. Like I just don't like at all, which is like looking at the financials for every single business to see exactly where every little 
tiny thing is going. You know, I would rather be doing this 24 seven, 365 connected with my people, this and that, but you still got to like pay taxes and you still got to talk to your legal counsel and you still got to hop on like a meeting, this and that you don't have to, like I decide to, but like, that's definitely not what's pouring up my cup by far the most. But I think the key is those things allow me to do way more of what I truly love, mm-hmm. which is connecting with dope people. I know like you that have so much knowledge and value to share and I can learn from and share to my audience, et cetera. But that's why I can get over that. That's why I can say like, oh yeah, I can hop on this 15 minute meeting to talk to my accounting team. Why X, Y, Z doesn't match up and or what we need to do. Cool. Easy done. Now I can hop on a podcast show. Now, now I can go take this trip. The key in my personal opinion, where burnout happens is you hate what you do. That's no one else's fault other than yours. So you need to get really clear on what you want. When I went to my first mastermind event, I was kind of confused. Do I stay in the mortgage industry? Do I start building a business? Well, I don't even, I don't even know. Once I got clarity on what I wanted, decisions were easy. Most people don't know what they want. They haven't tried hard enough. They haven't tried things. They're too scared. Yeah, they're living in a preach. They're living in a fearful state. So once you get like really clear, and sometimes you don't know everything because you have to be adaptable, right? You think that you want, you think you want a hundred acres, right? In reality, you're like, I just want to rent, right? But to avoid burnout, you got to be really clear on what you want. And you have to be adaptable and open to change. Literally never would have thought I would have a podcast show a year ago. Then I'm like, wait, this is going to save me so much time because I want my time back and I want to produce more content, share more value. How do I do that? This is just a better vehicle to do that. This is how I can talk talk on more topics about things that I know about, not just credit, real estate, investing. I love all that, but I like talking about a whole lot of other shit too. Hmm. And I know a lot of other people that can do the same. So getting very clear on you want and doing things before you need it. Right? Tell me about that. Taking my trip to Puerto Rico, for example, right? I think I was texting you a little bit while I was there and took my girl down there. Great trip. But I was like, bro, when I got back, remember I was like, I keep talking about the space of genius, talked about it on a couple other shows, but I'm a big believer in even writing my book. You can't have a page full of words. Like our brain as humans, if we read that full page of words, it's hard to digest. It's hard to get through that page. But if we create indentation, spaces in between the paragraphs and indent the words, our brain can read through that page and actually retain what we're reading. Most of us are filling our day with the full page of words. Eventually you're going to look back in a day, a week, a month, a year, a lifetime, and you're doing all of it for nothing. Mm. That's a nice clip right there. Holy shit. That was, that was <laughs> just good in general. That's so true. But what I learned when I was in Puerto Rico, I'm like, Whoa, I need to do this trip 30 days ago. But what I was doing is I had all these things on my list. And I'm not saying that you need to like, uh, take, I'm not escaping shit by any means. If anything, it's like a weird way of working more. That's my work now is creating more of that space, right? That space of genius. But patterns that show up in my life, I'm a fucking workhorse, dude. It's like, yo, we 14 hours a day, no matter what, let's get it, no matter what. But there's a different type of work where you can be 14 hours a day, let's get it. And that's what I'm learning. That's what I'm on my current journey on right now. And it's been really fun. And you actually make more money. 
and you're actually less stressed. It's really cool. And so my takeaway was, I got to get this book done. I got to get this podcast launch. I have to do this. I have to do that. Then we'll take a trip. It's like, it's 2023, motherfucker. I can show this trip and probably make more money online. You know what I mean? And like tell people how I'm doing this and sharing more, right? And so getting clear on what you want and just saying, okay, I have a lot going on. It's actually going to serve me better if I take the trip now. Man, that whole idea of I have to earn. I got to work to earn money. I need to work hard on understanding the answers to this test to earn an A. Peace, contentment, love. God already gave these to us. We have to earn none of these things. But we are conditioned and we are programmed to feel as if I must have to do X, Y, Z in order to earn favor from the people around me, to money, the grade. And I believe it's one thing from a, not culture, but complete societal, like this is like part of like the fall of Adam and Eve, I believe like the fall. This is part of it to feel as if we have to earn this love. And a lot of religions will even pose it that way, like to earn God's love. And, but it's already there. It's already given. And it's, but it's super easy to find ourselves feeling we have to earn everything, especially high-performing guys. I know I, I, I speak for myself here. Stood in there like, I'm not a low performer, motherfuckers. I'm a high performer. Uh, no, I meant more like uh, I have to earn that stuff too. Oh, okay. I'm not that high performing. I'm not oh. fucking chilling. Nah, I would, I'd be slack <laughs> right now if I wasn't here really just chilling. <laughs> nah, dude, you're by far, we were just talking off camera, all the, I mean, dude, running Ironmans, powerlifting. Definitely don't want to see you in a back alleyway on a dark night. That's for sure. I'll pass. I would definitely pass. But I love what you said. I'm the same way. We're very fucking similar, dude. Like I got to earn it, right? I got to earn it. And my most recent experience with ayahuasca taught me what true unconditional love is, right? I think that's why people are religious. I think that's why people love God or love whatever religion you want. For me, it's why I love dogs. <laughs> it's why I love Poppy is because it's unconditional love. But specifically with ayahuasca, it gave me this euphoric experience, this physical healing in my hip from running miles. And you hold a lot of energy and stress in your hips. And every single time I, I felt like I had to earn feeling that way from using the plant medicine, I started to feel a purge in my stomach. I would like uh, creep in and kind of, you know, hold your stomach and feel like you're going to purge, right? You're going to vomit or shit your pants. I don't know, whatever you're going to get. But every time I would just, <laughs> every time I would just like, every time I would relax, like I don't, I don't, I'm not here. Like this is, this is a different type of work, man. You can relax. You can, you didn't, you didn't have to work on a computer. You didn't have to make a phone call to feel this way. And so that's, what's been really interesting to me the last, the last year or so is that unconditional feeling of feeling good, right? That unconditioned feeling that you can experience at any moment if you want to. Will anyone or anything love you more than Poppy? Zero chance. Zero chance. <laughs> <laughs> I told us, my wife says, man, I swear you love the dogs more than me. I said, babe, if, if I throw the dogs in the crate and I come home 10 hours later, they're pumped to see me. I said, I lock your ass in the crate. You'd be <laughs> pissed when I got home. <laughs> hey, that's... 
that's dogs, man. I was telling you yesterday too about like, I love traveling and um, my family migrated to the United States from Italy. And so I was out towards uh, the, the lovely sacred land, not specifically Italy, but I was in Greece and it was actually really cool to see the idea of like how dogs were domesticated a couple thousand years ago, whenever they were, I don't know, fact check this, but uh, essentially the, the Greeks used them for, uh, they have some, some type of like enzyme in their mouth that their mouths are cleaner than humans. So the Greeks would use them in surgeries, right? They heal wounds. If someone had a surgery, um, I believe the Greeks were like the first documented at least to have like an actual medical, like pharmacy, right? Like pharmaceutical. So they would use dogs to heal the wounds. And that whole idea around dogs, you know, God spelled backwards and the Greeks being huge into, you know, astrology and the gods like Zeus. That's just always been an interesting thing to me when I saw that this past summer in Greece was, hmm, they're like a healing power, energy, they're essentially like a god in a way, right? So my my dogs, coolest dogs in the world. Maybe I'm biased. <laughs> I'm at my house one time, and um, I come in. My dog Breck. He's he's a he looks like you, about the same size as you, to be honest. Like you guys are built a lot alike. Six four, bulletproof. Two twenty five, bulletproof. Beautiful yeah. eyes. Oh, he yeah. he got like this like blue eye, like one blue eye. But I come walking in the house and. He's, he doesn't know it's me. And he's, rawr, 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 rawr. and I come walking in. He still doesn't know it's me. I'm like, this guy fucking half asleep or what? And he comes running up to me, like super, super barking and at me. And then finally he sees me and his demeanor just immediately switches. Like he goes from like hair standing bulky to just like slim down, like, mm. tongue hanging out, his bus wagon, his, his tail's wagging so hard, his whole bus wagon jumps up because I like allow my dogs to jump on me, not other guests, but on myself, I will. He jumps up on me, I'm patting him, oh, you're a good boy, you know, loving on my dog. And it was like in these moments that I realized dogs are incredibly special. Like it's such a privilege that we have to be able to have dogs and to be able to experience what true unconditional love feels like. So I, I have the privilege of, of being ordained. So I get to marry some of my friends and mm. I've done a few, like four or five weddings now and it's super fun. And part of it's talking about, you know, as you're saying, your vows, unconditional love. But every time I hear people commit to loving each other unconditionally, I know it's not true because I've never experienced it. I've never seen it outside of the love God has for me and the love my dog has for me. And it is ironic that it's the same word spelled backwards. Mm -hmm. Is the world flat or is it round? Cause we got this like globe in the middle here and I don't know what's going on. Is there a firmament? You're a believer in God. Is there a firmament? What's going on up there or yeah, down here everywhere? Th this is a good question. Cause I'm a big conspiracy theorist, but talking my language, the world is round. It's definitely around. It's not flat. Nobody's falling off the earth. Now, I think if you do enough ayahuasca, you might fall off the earth. Mm. But I still think it's round. Why? Why do I think it's round? Oh, I just, there's some things I can't buy into. Like, I think I have like a, uh, like a meter that that can just like COVID from the beginning. I'm like, no, nah, this, this is not it. Like the vaccine, I'm like, no, nah, this is not it. And whatever your, whatever your beliefs are, that's fine. I don't care what you do, but I don't believe in that. But I just, it's new, like something was off. But when they presented the whole 
I'll tell you the whole flat earth thing. I'm like, no, that's not, but I'll tell you one thing. I don't know about dinosaurs. I think dinosaurs, because they're like, they're not really in music. This, none of this is facts, by the way, guys, this is just my, this is when I smoke a joint and I'm just fucking thinking on shit and take some mushrooms and I'm thinking, I'm like, dinosaurs ain't real. What it really was, it was the fallen angels had come down to earth and they meted with mere humans. And that's where we got like Hercules and that's who built the pyramids. Like the pyramids aren't like a few thousand, five, six, the pyramids are like tens of thousands of years old, more like into the Graham Hancock type of philosophy, some of them things, except for I believe there truly was giants. And I believe that the giants were these fallen angels that came down and mated with humans and had offspring as well. And that's, that's why God sent the flood. I think the remains that they're finding is actually massive giant type creatures that had existed on earth and dragons are hundred percent real too. There's just no doubt in my mind that dragons were also real. There's just too many tales, like the, the great flood, like there's across, like, I think it's like hundreds of different cultures that there's a great flood story. And we must recognize that it's hard to replicate with modern construction. Now what was happening when they built the pyramids also like Pumapuku, uh, 12,000 foot up in the air, massive 12 ton boulders just scattered like a kid who threw his Legos on the ground. Uh, you're talking un sunken underneath water was like in Indonesia or wherever that's at. That's like underwater. They're finding uh, temples or different things. Uh, you're seeing it as well with the pyramids. Then you're seeing it again, in, which in Egypt, and you're also seeing it in South America. So like, how about Antarctica? We're not even talking about Antarctica. I'm, I'm sure that there's a civilization. Maybe Antarctica was actually Atlantis. So these are things I like to actually entertain because I don't believe we actually have a definite answer on what they are. So like following someone like Graham Hancock, he has, uh, I, I adopt a lot of his ideals and I'm not a fucking archeologist. These are just things I think about when I'm high. <laughs> However, they make sense to me. The, the current model in saying that these Egyptian pharaohs were buried inside of these pyramids. And that's the reason why I'm like, no, they had to do something with energy, energy grid. Like they're definitely communicating to each other as well. Like across the world, mm -hmm. these different pyramids, that's why they're built. They're all too similar in structure. They align too much with astrology, the stars. So uh, there's a lot of things there. No, the world's not flat, but yes, there was a great civilization that existed here prior to the great flood. It was because of the fallen angels. Uh, the reason why God had to send people in the Bible to go kill entire people's like entire, again, not true, not, this is all Zach Hummel facts, not facts uh, by the books because they were bred with these fallen angels that weren't supposed to be God's design. That's why God had to go wipe everyone out except for, you know, Noah. Uh, this is a cool idea to entertain and to talk about because I don't feel like there's a true right answer to it. The whole dinosaur thing, eh, maybe, but I just don't believe it. Do you think the mountains in Arizona are trees? No, no, I don't think that. <laughs> That's, I've thought about it though, but I spent a lot of time in Arizona and I'd be digging. I'm like, nah, these ain't trees, man. That's a fucking rock. <laughs> That's a rock if I ain't never seen a rock. And now, by the way, Sedona, magical place. I lead men's retreat trips there, uh, take guys, and we climb this mountain called Bear Mountain. People are like, oh, Sedona sucks. It's so crowded and this, that, and the third. I'm like, no, it's not. Like you just do the easy hikes. If you do easy hikes, you're around people who do easy shit. So yeah, you don't have no peace, no quiet. But if you do the hardest hike you can find, you don't find nobody on the trails because ain't nobody want to actually work for a view. But you start walking up the mountain and it's hard. <sighs> you know, you're breathing heavy. I'll teach the guys like some breath work and how to lower our heart rates, which is always great in, in the moment teachings, right? Like, look, we can have total control of our heart rate if we just learn how to breathe, relax, 
not stress out. I get to teach that as we go. We go up to the top of the mountain, but as you go up there, you can see where it was underwater. Like you can literally see in the rock formations, like where the waves were at. That to me is just absolutely fascinating because what we see the desert now is dry, desolate. There's no water there. What are, what are your retreats like? Like who, who are your, who's your ideal person to be on a retreat with? Oh, I love this. I, I like to be on a retreat with the guy who, who understands he needs growth in his life. He's not afraid to go from good to great. He's, he's willing, he's willing to be self-aware. He's willing to have the hard conversations. He's willing to be vulnerable. I think culture, we're missing that a lot. Uh, there's a big push on masculinity and femininity and what a man's supposed to be like and what a woman's supposed to be like. So naturally you have these pendulum swings where guys like, oh, you can't show emotion. You can't cry. And they're like, well, I cry. I cry. I cry a lot, actually. I'm not crying excessively. I'm not whining. I'm not complaining to my wife neither. I'm the leader of my home. I don't need to whine and complain to her. I need to focus and handle business. But she's seen me emotional. She's my significant other. And I'm not too intimidated to do that because I'm fulfilling my roles in the masculine way in other, in other states, in other ways. So when I look for a guy who's good, a good fit for my retreats, I'm looking for a guy who's yearning for this type of connection with other guys who are willing to share what's on their heart, things that they're struggling with, maybe where they could see themselves becoming better and guys who are willing to take back all responsibility of their life to have the true, true responsibility. Like there, if I get rear-ended, it's my fault. Everything that happens in my life is my fault. My, I'm sorry, my responsibility, not my fault, my responsibility. See, I might've got rear-ended and that necessarily wasn't my fault, but it's my responsibility on how I react to it. So it's my, my responsibility to choose how I react to all situations and circumstances in my life. This, this gives me personal power because all of a sudden I get rear-ended. I, I just started, listen to this story, guys. You're gonna love, I'm talking to you too. Yeah, you too. Yeah, there's camera guys. <laughs> listen to this story. I just started Ironman training, right? And I'm biking. First time ever out on the road and I'm biking. Some fucking 78-year-old lady runs a stop side and hits me head on. I shoot off my bike and I land on her, bust her windshield open. I'm gushing blood. This is just this past year, like four months ago, this happened. Five months ago, this happened to me. I did not know that. Yeah, she keeps, <laughs> she keeps driving. And I'm like, yo, yo, slow down, slow down. She said, your responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so she stops and then she finally stops and she jumps out, dude, she's trembling. And I'm like, don't worry, this, this is all good. She's like, oh my God. I'm going to lose my license. I'm going to go to jail. Like she's just stressed. She's like, I'm going to work. I'm 70. She told me she's going to work and she's 78 years old. Like, you know, there's, this is not, something's not right. Right. It's not good. I could use this opportunity to be like, you fucking idiot. You ran me over. I got, I'm going to need fucking stitches in my arm. I got plastic. I could have did anything. I could have, I would have been warranted that response. But I realized in that moment, it was my responsibility to calm the situation. I wasn't hurt. I was fine. I was able to talk, walk, move. But it was important for me in that moment to be able to, you know, calm her down. It's an opportunity for me to extend grace to somebody else. It was my, it was, it was still at the end of the day, I should have been paying more attention. I, it, yeah, she ran the stop sign, but I could have stopped longer and seen if she was going to run a stop sign. But it's so easy when we pass that blame, like, oh, it's her fault. It's her responsibility. She should have to pay for this. I'm going to sue her. All of a sudden you just give away all of your personal power. 
all of your ability to be able to extend grace to someone goes away when you choose to react that way. And I've realized if I want to keep harmony and flow in my life that I need to take responsibility, there will be things that happens in my life like, uh, like uh, as a child, for instance, like not to go too deep in this, but as a child, my parents had uh, a addiction, a bad situation, very bad situations. And I was uh, abused physically, emotionally, and I could have said like, well, that's not my fault. This, that, that, it was my responsibility to heal from that trauma. It was my responsibility to forgive my father, even though he chose to say that I have nothing, you have nothing to forgive. It's my responsibility to heal from that. If not, I carry around that burden. I carry around that grudge. So if I can look at you across the table and you're on my retreat and you're willing to take responsibility for things that weren't even your fault, then I know you're set up for growth because now you have a level of self-awareness to know that you have the ability to achieve anything that you desire, anything that you, you can think of. You have the ability to achieve it now that you've taken your personal power back. I don't have to like sell you on any models or ideas. Like, no, you got it now. You got the self-awareness and the personal power. What about someone that's kind of gone through that journey, right? Like they've, I call it night vision. Night vision is the first chapter of my book. I believe that you have to go dark in order to see the light. You have to focus on the target. It's the yin and the yang. It's the harmony. It's, you got to tap into the dark chambers, right? I just truly believe that. And also with night vision, I believe that we all have this internal flame. There's opportunities for that flame to get sparked. There's opportunities for gas or water to get tossed onto the flame. It's just a matter of whether you decide for it to be gas or for it to be water. But what if someone's at a stage of their life, I'm just going to be selfish and use me as an example. If I would want to go to a retreat, or how do you handle a guy like myself that's like, yo, Zach, dude, you know me, bro. Like I've, I put it the work of my trauma. Cause I do believe it starts there, right? Like how do you, how do you set up a trust and get an accountant and get assets and make all this money? And how do you build legacy wealth? How do you make sure that 70 plus percent of generational wealth returns back to poverty within just a couple generations? Not because you bought the wrong assets, not because you don't have a trust, not because of taxes, because the person that acquired that's a fucking peasant. They have, they have a victim mentality. They didn't break and or someone didn't break the generational trauma. But what, what if you feel like you're in a spot that you've done that? Let's start having some fun, man. I'm done talking about the trauma. How do you deal with someone like that that's interested in coming into a retreat or working with you? No doubt. And this is where I go. I handpick my retreats. My retreats is more of a passion project. While they, while they do compensate me fairly for my time and for my efforts, um, I, I would lose money on a retreat in relation to other things that I would do in my business. So retreats are very passion project oriented for me. So when I'm planning a retreat with some individuals and I'm on the phone, I'm talking to these guys. I start, okay, oh, you're dealing with some trauma. You're, you're in the dark place. I'm going to put you on the May retreat. Oh, like you're going, you're trying to go from good to great. You're going to come on the September retreat. We're just going to have some fun. We're going to learn some breathing techniques. You're going to feel a sense of peace and relaxation you never had. Uh, if you have had it, you're going to be glad to have it again. You're going to be connecting with other individuals who have already overcome a lot of their trauma and their pain. And you guys are going to meet where you're at. This, this gives us the ability to have deeper levels of connection to be able to kind of talk about like, oh yeah, that's something I worked through too. And now I'm on this side. So for me, it's about finding harmony with the individuals that I'm choosing for the retreats. So if 
you know, it's a little bit of a deeper trip where guys are kind of dealing with some heavy stuff. I put them more together and then I position my heart for that retreat to like, Hey, I'm going into deep place. Like you're going to start talking about some of the stuff that happened in your life to be able to open up these levels of conversation. So my heart needs to be in a good position to be able to have these conversations. Now I take you and a couple of other guys who have already healed and you're growing. We're going to go out and have a really good time. We're going to spend time in nature. We're going to do breath work. We're going to do ice baths. We're going to climb mountains. We're going to conquer. We're going to do hard things. And we're just going to share space together. We're going to eat good food, different vibes of the retreats. So how I do that is I just, pick, handpick people who go on this trip and then people who go on this trip. Yeah. And one thing I've learned from you as well is the box. A lot of us are told that the riches are made in the niches or whatever the fuck it's called. We got a niche down, right? Like Tyler, you just have to be known as a real estate investor. Tyler, you just have to be known or Zach, you just have to be known for powerlifting. No. Sure, is it good to have a really good skill set in a, a niche area? Absolutely. But one thing I've learned is outside of the retreats, right? Like helping men heal from trauma. Um, there's a lot of suicides and men with trauma because they don't have a place to open up because we're told by society we have to act accordingly and think accordingly. But that aside, someone like myself that's like, eh, I don't even know if I want to, I got nothing to heal, man. I'm just trying to have fun, enjoy life, you know? I heal, I heal in my own way, but I don't want to be put in a box either, right? Like I want to do all these cool certain things. And that's what you've helped me with tremendously, right? Is like, oh yeah. Cause I've never put myself in a box. Tyler, you can have a podcast. You can get a bone broth deal. You can have the best podcast in the world. You can grow 0% and help a hundred thousand people become financially independent. You can build a billion dollar real estate portfolio but that's my identity is I can do anything and everything I want. I think a lot of us get stuck there, right? That's what I've been dealing with the last, I would say probably the last six months is again, transitioning into some like new things, AKA building myself that everything else actually builds faster. Right. And so I say that again, because I admire that about you is you almost essentially gave me the, you, you granted me to give myself the okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no box here. This is an invisible box. Who made this box up? How does someone get through that box where they don't have to niche down or just do one certain thing? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I believe this is even harder for you guys out there who have found success in one particular niche that it becomes now your identity. So I'm, I'm Zach Hummel power in 2017. My wife and I are still like in the party scene a little bit. We're going to brother's bar. We're taking shots. I'm smoking some cowboy killers. I'm a fitness guy, but I'm still a coal miner at heart. And people are lining up. Like this is when I'm setting records and I'm kind of opened up by Iron Valley Barbo and I'm kind of making some waves in town. Like people know who I am. I'm creating a lot of content. I'm easy to talk to. I like to believe people like to approach me and, and I'm pretty easy energy. So people are lining up to talk to me. Yo, Zach Homo Power, what's up, bro? Yo, Zach Homo Power, what's up? I look at my wife and I'm like, holy shit, babe. I'm like, holy shit, babe. Like, uh, I got to drop the power from my name. That's why I realized that my entire identity is intertwined with what I'm doing in, in fitness and what I'm able to lift. But I know that I have so much more depth in this. Like, and, and this is like a, not a, a knock against anybody, but it's, 
I just have a ton of belief in myself. Like my mother instilled this in me from a super young age. She said, she said, babe, whatever you set your mind to, like you'll accomplish. I mean, like anything, like if you want to be the president, Zachary, you just go ahead and be the president and see, I would have been a president, but I just don't like politics. I'd vote for you. No doubt you would hundred percent. I'll call up Charlie. I'll get all the blackmail from the old videos, man. <laughs> so this idea of like, it, it makes sense. So, so first it's okay to say that like, yo, I put myself in a box. I niche myself down, but I, I wouldn't be sitting here doing life coaching and business coaching with 50, 60, 70, hundred million dollar men. If I didn't first create these mental models that we have been talking about in powerlifting. Powerlifting taught me a whole lot about weakness development and being able to focus on the areas of my lifts that were weak and then create a game plan to be able to, in a supportive exercises to be able to lift more weights. So I was able to carry those mental models into my retreats that I do, my life coaching. Explain, explain that a little bit. I think, I think there's a, I know what you're saying, but I think there's more to it. Oh, like uh, the weakness development of mm -hmm. a lift? Mm -hmm. Okay, so like if I'm deadlifting uh, 650 pounds and my form's good, I have straight back, good form, awesome. Then I track 660. And as I start to pull 660, my hips come up. Well, as my hips come up, my shoulders are gonna come over top of the bar. As my shoulders come over top of the bar, my hips are up, I put more strain in my lower back. So now my back hurts during the lift. So from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, you need more back work. But I'm like, no, 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 no. That's misdiagnosed on the problem. The problem actually is my hips went up first, which then caused my back to round. So I need to strengthen my hamstrings and my hips at the bottom of the movement to not come up over top of the bar so it doesn't put my shoulders over top of the bar, more strain on my lower back. So it's diagnosing what the actual problem is and then choosing the proper solutions for that problem to be able to maintain the positioning that I need to be in the most optimal position to be able to succeed, to be able to lift maximum effort weight. The best fighters that we watch on earth, like Conor McGregor, for instance, like, I don't think he's the best ever, but he's great. Conor is a master of positioning, timing. He's precise. He knows exactly where to be and he turns and his leverage is in his hips and he turns his hips through and... Boom, lights out. Jose Aldo, like hasn't lost in a decade, but his positioning and his timing was perfect. He was able to recognize what Jose Aldo's weaknesses was, which was over committing. He came in too fast. So then as I begin to recognize what my own weaknesses are within myself, I can then position myself with proper development, whether that be exercises or mental models or healing from trauma, uh, not projecting insecurities. We all have insecurities. When Kanye said we all have insecurities, but I'm just the first to admit it. I'm like, yo, preach on that. Because we all got insecurities and they're projected consistently out of our mouth on a day-to-day -day basis. So I realized that if I can just become more conscious of what my insecurities are and just heal a little bit more from them, I won't be projecting that insecurity onto others. I won't be hurting others. It's this idea of like, we want to heal the world. Everyone's like, I want to save the world. I'm going to solve world hunger. I'm like, dope. Just work on healing yourself first because you're still fucking broke. Like work on, you. and I'm not talking money. I know we're on a money podcast, but I'm not talking money. I'm talking you're broken emotionally, spiritually, you're broken. Like you can't heal nobody with it. If my cup's empty, how am I going to give you water? I can't help nobody until I fill my own cup up. So I realized like part of my weakness development was filling up my cup. So it was going to Puerto Rico 
an analogy here. It's going to Puerto Rico when I know I need space for it. Mm -hmm. And most people go, at least I went to Puerto Rico and the cup was already, was already empty. And so in reality, it's like, you gotta be, you gotta be selfish to be selfless. You, oh, gotta, yeah. you gotta keep the glass full in order to, to pour into others. And yeah, I think that's really just like the whole, the whole mantra, right. About just understanding too, like, just because somebody only wants to be known for real estate or only wants to be known as the fitness guy, or they only want to be known for crypto or business. Great. Good for them. That's awesome. I support them. I'm all for it. But like you saw in my kitchen, on my fridge, and what I experienced doing hard things at that 76 mile point of being fully broken down, I'm different. I'm built different. And it's not, I'm better than you, this and that. Maybe I am, right? I don't know, but that's nothing to do with the point. I'm just different. So I can talk about anything I want to talk about. Yeah, that's also dog mentality. Like I don't go into a competition expecting to fucking lose. Like I am better than you until you fucking prove that you're better than me. And if I don't carry this, like I don't go against people and I'm not egotistical. Like that'd be the last thing. If you spent the day with me, you'd be like, oh man, is that gonna be fucking egotistical thinks he's better than everybody. You're not going to feel that energy from me. But if we line up in competition, you bet your fucking ass I'm better than you. Like if we're in a physical altercation, I'm like, oh, maybe you're better than me. That That's again, peasant mentality. So like having this mentality, like we should never have to apologize for saying, yo, I'm fucking, yeah, I fucking earned it. Yes, I'm better than you. Prove you're better than me. If you're better than me, then prove it. And, and again, at least uh, with what I'm saying as far as like niching down, right? And putting yourself in a box. I'm just trying to go through at least my journey here, right? Of like people I know you're helping and healing and vice versa, right? Because you're getting hopefully just as much out of it as I'm sure you are. Is like, there's, there's people listening, specifically men listening to this that are like, oh, I got some trauma to work to. And, uh, and some people like, I get it. That's definitely kind of more where I am is like, dude, I'm good. I'm done playing that game. I, I want to I be great. I'm good, but I want to be great. And for me, at least it was like that invisible box, right? It's coming back to when you were at my place yesterday and mental model here. Love that, by the way, I'm stealing that from you. I taught that to Zach. So, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's the $2 bill in my fridge. Oh, bro. I, I, I love that you shared this story. I go up to Tyler. I said, bro, why, what's the reason you got all these $2 bills clipped to your fridge? He looks at me and he says, I said, oh, the $2 bill, man. When's the last time you saw one of those? My grandpa Bassetti, shout out to grandpa Bassetti. He's still around. He'll send me a handwritten note, usually minimum once a month. It'll say, shave your beard, quit cussing online, buy more Bitcoin and assets. He'll throw some shit in there. I love it, right? But he throws in a $2 bill. And the $2 bill represents the Bassetti DNA. We're different, right? We're rare. We're different. The $2 bill is, is just, you don't see a $2 bill anymore. That's literally, I say, oh, I never see these. And I'm like, you don't find Tyler Bassetti's either, do you? Mm. <laughs> and so, but I think that's for anyone and everyone, man. It's just my mantra. It's just, it's borderline brainwashing myself too. Cause I know what it's like to be 
fat and poor growing up. I know what it's like to be super insecure. It's just, we're putting it out on the table, just talking, right? But at the same time, oh, I'll go down the darkest chambers. I'll, I'll turn on night vision focus. And so what he's also doing as well, whether he knows it or not, he definitely, I believe, thinks he knows it. What my grandpa is doing, he's doing the most important piece. He's breaking the generational trauma. Mm. And he's using it through symbolism of money, a $2 bill. And that's how my mind works. I'm like in the spiritual realm. I could talk to you all day about chakras and meditating and all that weird hippie shit. I'm all about it. But then after like a day, an hour, a week, I'm like, have you been on a private jet before? It's pretty fucking cool. Private jets are pretty cool, dude. Let's go make a bunch of money, right? And so that's just like my mantra, man, is like, I'm a $2 bill. I'm different. Man, I love that. And I love when you, you know, we both had said this, like, it's this idea of like, you're like the listener right now, like you're different too. When I work with guys, I do a lot of like personal brand building. So I'm working with guys and they're like, exactly. Like, I got to figure out what makes me different. What's, what separates me from other fitness guys? I go, well, tell me your story. So he tells me a story. I said, that's what's make you different. He goes, well, how does that story make it any different from this? I said, because it's your story. Mm. That's why you're different. It's your story. See, we're, comparison's the thief of joy. Like if I'm in the same space, like I got public speak. So I'm in the same space as Tony Robbins. Imagine me comparing myself to Tony Robbins. Like Tony's going to be on your podcast. So it's great. So just name drop me and remember me at that time. But like, <laughs> let Tony know, like Zach's dope. But like, and you're dope, Tony, but Zach's going to be like, he's going to be even better. It's, but if I don't have this mentality that I'm going, like I have the ability to succeed and to prosper. Like if, and if I don't see that there's also been someone there before me, like a Tony Robbins and these guys that I look up to and their, their forms of communication. I'm like, holy shit, that was good. Look how you did my, my, my pastor, my mentor, Petey Kinder, shout out Petey. Like when I, when I think of Petey and I see the way he communicates, I'm like, wow, this guy's so good. He's so, so good. But he never, he never once makes me feel like I'll never be better than him. Mm. He never makes me feel like I'm below him. He says, bro, you can do this. Like these are the type of people that I want in my circle. So it's good to be around people who have this little bit of like, uh, extreme confidence and almost arrogance about them. It's good to be around them as long as it's not narcissistic and condemning and belittling. But when I'm around people who are like, yeah, I'm the fucking shit, bro. Cause I work for it. I'm like, yeah, I want some of that energy. Like let's, let's do this together. And to that point, but they want you to win too, right? It's, it's, Hey, if we're going against each other, I, I want to beat your ass and no matter what it is. Right. But what I've recognized is most people want you to do good but most people don't want you to do better than them. Mm -hmm. Get those fucking people out of my life now, right? And that's why I believe in another mental model here is with that one mile loop, I also give people a mile. I don't give people an inch. Come to my house, Zach. I want you and Ashley to come in the house because I want to see how my dog reacts to you because I'm on some hippie shit and I know my dog Poppy has got some wild energy. You know, and he's going to bark at you. But after like 30 seconds, if he's still scared of you, dude, I know I got to keep my head on a swivel with you. I could still keep you as a personal brand coach and help me build out Twitter and social media and the podcast and this and that. Uh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep that mile distance. And then I'll bring you into an inch. Most people do the opposite. They give people an inch. People end up taking a mile. Mm -hmm. You could have collapsed the time of your business 
You could have collapsed the time of your investment. You could have collapsed the time of a relationship by actually opening the doors to give somebody a mile. See if they take an inch, because if they take an inch, they'll definitely take a mile. But I'm going to figure this this out. But I'm going to figure this out in 10 minutes. I don't want to figure this out in 10 years because the compound effect and how my brain works as an investor is, yo, I just lost nine years. So most people want you to do good. They just don't want you to do better than them. But there's also some people in your life that actually, if you're going against them, they may want to beat you at certain things, but they absolutely want you to do phenomenal and they're in full support if you're doing better than them. Those are the people that you keep in your life, in my opinion. No doubt. No, what, what, how did the poppy sit? Tell them what, tell them what, tell them about poppy. Like, don't just leave it. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh, poppy. When people walk in, he barks. He's crazy. He's, he's short, fat, and pissed off like me, right? <laughs> 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 he, he's got the, uh, he's got the little short man syndrome. We're like Alexander the Great. We're trying to conquer land up here in Columbus. So you better watch out. But, you know, you guys come in and, you're not like trying to get him to love you, this and that. Like, it's, it's so fucking weird to even talk about this, but it's like. Dog people get it though. Like if you're, dog, dog people are like, oh, dog, I get you. You get it, right? If someone's walking up to my dog and like, they're trying to like prove a point to me. Like, oh, Tyler, just let me in this house. And he's got, he's got money or he, blah, like he, like, dude, you're just overcompensating. My dog don't like you and you don't like him and that's all good. Or like, you're, you're freaking my dog out, man. He He knows. He knows you're, you're doing this out of bad intention. You're like trying to love on him and he's a short little fat dog. I totally get it. If you're like, get the fuck away from me. I get it. But that's overcompensation. I, I can see it. I like watch people and I'm like, why are you trying to overcompensate? He don't want you to pet him. You guys come in super chill. He can feel that energy. We're sitting there on the floor. We're talking. We're just bullshitting, hanging out, right? Having a good time. You gave him a couple of treats. I think that might've helped those old uh, pepperonis. They get the job done, but we're just hanging out and dude, like 10 minutes later, he just, out of nowhere, he just walks over and drops his little tennis ball right in front of you. He's like, I like you. I like you. Pass the poppy test right there, bro. You gotta, you gotta pass. You gotta pass the poppy test. Now, hopefully dog people understand this because it does kind of sound weird saying, but I think I just know, I just, I bring it back to that one mile loop, that one mile loop, that mental model, just, man, it, I can run with that story a hundred different ways. I can go, no, I give people a mile, right? I let them in my house. We'll see how you act when you're in my house to my dog, to me, in front of my significant other. I got to give you a mile because usually most things is time and money, Right. Sure, we can throw in other things like energy, but in reality, why are we doing things for time and money? Most people, right? I'm past the money thing. I'm good. I'm good forever. So now it's my time, right? And thankfully, I've like kind of naturally operated that way, but I, I don't want the guard up anymore, right? Like let's, let's bring the guard down and let's just collapse the time. If I like this person, if I want to do this investment, if I want to move forward with this deal, most people have the guard up and you know, give them an inch. That's it. Hell no. Here's a transparency. Here's what's going on. If you take anything, I know you'll take everything. This idea that uh, people want you to do good, just not better than them. It's because we're all fixated on these same metrics of success. But when I actually defined what metric of success was to me, I stopped, I stopped giving a fuck if people was making more money or doing this. Most of my friends are way more wealthier than me. 
I'm sitting across from a friend who's way more wealthier than me. I'm not in competition with you. We're running different races. I have different metrics of success. I don't want to have all of Columbus. I give, I don't want no property in Columbus to be completely honest. I want zero properties in Columbus. But what I do want is be able to spend all my summer slacklining, kayaking, paddleboarding, training five hours a day, having free time, banging my wife on the couch at 10 in the morning, rolling Yahtzee after, banging her again, going out to the park. Like I want freedom. And people are like, oh, everybody thinks they want freedom. I'm like, right, but their actions don't align with freedom because I could make way more money. I was talking to Tyler about this, but like five, six months of the year, I shut my business down. I'm only working with serving the clients I have. I do maintenance work and I'm chilling, having a good time. I'm soaking up sun. I live in the Midwest, so I only get it a few months out of the year. So I'm spending time doing that. So I think oftentimes that we compare ourselves to people's situations of what they're doing well But the reality is, it's because we've based our success off of that metric, whether it's finances or beauty or social media followers. I don't care about that. There's people on social media who are way dumber than me, who has way more followers than me. It is just a reality of the the fact, like, dude, this guy doesn't know shit about fitness. Set world records. I'm running Ironmans. I have thousands of people that I've coached and results and he's dumber than me. But if I'm comparing myself to him because he has more followers, all of a sudden I feel less than. Well, but all the people I've been serving though and all the people I've been helping, it's not only doing myself a disservice, but it's also disserving all the people who are here in front of me that I am being called to serve. So paying attention, like what's your metric of success? Yeah, you said it, you said it best. Here I am plugging the book again, all for nothing book. It's chapter two of the book. I talk about the race. I'm an ultra marathon runner. I'm a, I'm a runner. That's what changed my life, right? Most of us don't even know what race we're running. Mm. Most of us are running the ego race. Most of us are running the rat race. Most people are running somebody else's race. And so I think you hit the nail on the head is working with you, right? Life coaching, business coaching, brand coaching. Uh, it's you've helped me kind of get closer to that realization, right? Not closer to in reality, just clear certainty and clarity on, Oh, this is my race. It was just a friendly reminder. Oh yeah, this is Tyler's race and everybody else's race that's affiliated with my race will actually be running a more prosperous race as well. As long as I'm running my race, that's where we start getting into the the hamster wheel race of patterns and thoughts, right? Is the ego race running somebody else's race, running the rat race? Because we think being selfish is bad. It's actually very selfish to not run your own race. No doubt. Relationships should go like this. Relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with your significant other, then relationship with your kids. And I know there's people listening to this right now. It's like, you're wrong. The relationship with my kids is everything. I'm like, right, but you're 50 pounds overweight. You argue with your wife every single day. Do you think your kids listen to do as I say, not as I do, or they respond to your actions? I've been on earth long enough to know that your kids are gonna respond to the actions. So if you want your son to treat a woman well, treat your wife well. If you want your son to respect himself, himself, respect yourself. How do you handle that though with Ash, right? Like, dude, she started with you since you were drinking your black coffee in a coal miner, dude. Mm. Like you drink black coffee, you are fucked up, bro. Like you need some creamer in there. This guy drinks creamer with coffee. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man. Yo, you're like my mom. My mom's actually, I'm sure my mom will listen to this podcast. So uh, my mom's a big Tyler Bassetti fan. She loves Tyler. Yeah. They ran a sprint triathlon together. My mom almost beat Tyler. Bro, I was in the water with her. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay back. Those assholes. Like she's going to fucking drown out here. <laughs> like 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh fuck. She might be saving me out here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's so cool to see your guys' relationship, especially there's a lot of, uh, it's just the generational trauma, right? A lot of times it's like, I'm sure it's really easy for both of you to like project shame and guilt. Like what the fuck were you doing, mom? Right? Like what were you doing? But it's just really cool to see how you've worked on yourself in order to forgive, mm. right? In order to be like, it is what it is. In reality, in that weird, sick way, you're like, I'm actually kind of happy you did that because that's what made me who I am today. Oh, bro, you know, you really have to nail the head and, and where this actually came from. Like, it was actually very easy for me to forgive my mom because it was directly after their their drug abuse, their crackheads and father was awful. And my mom separated from him and she, I'm 13 at the time. My mom's working three jobs to provide. She's clean at this time. Everything's going good. My mom sat me down looks me dead in the eyes and apologizes to her 13 year old son for all the trauma that she put me through. She took complete ownership and responsibility for absolutely everything. She showed me that day that we take responsibility for all of our actions, no matter how good or how bad we are responsible for them. And I remember looking at her today, I said, you know what, mom, one day you're not gonna have to work three jobs no more. One day I'm gonna retire you and you'll never have to work again. I retired my mom two years ago. She doesn't work no more. She's hanging out on the beach right now in Florida, doing what, like paddleboarding and kayaking, maybe by happy hour right now, just doing life, just living life, man. She's chilling. Yeah, it's it's cool to see, man, because a, a lot of us will get to a certain number, then we'll be happy, then we'll be free. Before the show, you were like, yo, Tyler, if you just stop bringing income, like how, how long could I live? Right. That, that's how you derive your financial independence number. It's what we do at 0%. It's the first foundational piece of 0%. It's our mission to help a hundred thousand people reach financial independence. What does that mean? Your passive income has to exceed your expenses. Then you can do whatever you want. Right. I could perfectly align with that because I want freedom, independence. We use that, I think, word a little bit too loosely because I know a lot of people around me, dude, that have more money than me and they are financially free, but they're still running the race in their head. They're not getting on the slack line. They're not getting on the paddle board. And I, yo, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Like more, 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 more. It's just that the work... I'm seeing it now. The work's just got to change a little bit. The work's just got to change. Yeah, I want more too. Like, I want more money. That'd be dope. I'm not like, I'm, I can stop working and probably be chilling. But I want more of other things. Like, I want to spend more time in the woods. I don't want to spend more time with my girl rolling Yahtzee midday. Bro, what is it with you and Yahtzee? I love Yahtzee. <laughs> I love it. Like, I love you, bro. We got books. So when you come over, you're yeah, gonna like, we got books. Like all our friends got books. Like we got like these chess masters. We got these people like know how to play poker. Fucking Zach Hommel knows how to play Yahtzee. Big Yahtzee guy. <laughs> it's like just a, uh, it's a brain break. It's an awesome way. So a few years ago, shout out to my buddy, Adam Kitchens. And um, I'm coaching Adam in life coaching and brand development. 
and this was a few years ago and I'm, I'm, I see he has a great connection with his kids. And I'm like, Adam, what do you do to just stay that's connected with your kids? I'm always asking dads, like, what are you doing to stay connected? And just, just always trying to see like how people tick. And he's like, you know what? We were doing game night. And then I realized how good of a time we were having. So we just started doing game night every night. I'm like, oh, so you see something works and you just repeat the pattern. Duh. So like Yahtzee was fun for us because we're not in competition. Like we're rolling and you get Yahtzee. I'm like, yo, let's go. Yahtzee. Everyone's happy. Like that's our energy. So it's not like we're in competition. Like I want you to do bad or no, no, that's not how my family operates. Like when we lift each other up. And I believe when people are like over competitive, like in board games and stupid shit like that, it's because they're compensated, compensating because they're not actually competitive in the real world. Like use that competitive energy, bro, to go fucking make more money. Use that competitive energy to lose some fucking weight. Uh, or you, they just don't want you to do better than them. Is it totally, totally insecurities, whatever that looks like, uh, two inter identities, too intertwined with winning or losing. But I realized that that pattern of repeating. So we play a lot of Yahtzee, we roll dice, uh, like we play 10,000, we play trouble, all kinds of games like that. But that's where Yahtzee came from. It's just this idea of uh, it connected with my family. My family and I connect really closely playing Yahtzee. The dogs are laying around, we got the fire going. It's a very chill vibe. We put a record on and then we actually put our phones away and we're not big math guys like Tyler Bassetti. So we actually got to use calculators to add up simple numbers, but we get old fashioned calculators that like you'd have in school. So it's like a blast from the past, a blast from the past and a good time for us to spend as a family. And just be right. It comes back to the first thing you said is dopamine. Like that's why I love the one mile loop. That's why I love stamina. That's why I love you, bro. Is like dopamine is not bad, but where are you getting it from? That's what matters. Like We're, weed's not necessarily bad, but if you get some weed laced with some fucking meth, that might be some bad weed. That might be good. You never I know. mean, you could have a good ass time. I'm not, I'm not, I ain't judging. But, but if that's that, if that's your only source of dopamine, not, not so good. But one thing you said too, we were actually talking about this earlier when we were, you know, grabbing some food was, um, the idea of like seasons, seasons of our habits, our thoughts, something we're into. Like humans more than ever are instant gratification, 30 second videos. And then next 30 seconds, I'm going to teach you three things about how to choke chickens, whatever that is, right? Fair. That's fine. We see something that works and we go away from it right away. You saw the Yahtzee game was working Let's keep going. Let's keep having fun. Let's let's keep same thing in business, right? Keep running the one mile loop. If it's working, it's working. Sure, do we have to be adaptable? Do we have to make sure it's the highest use of our time and make sure it aligns with our accounting and you know, we're getting the highest ROI or the the highest ROAS return on ad spend, right? Like all these blah blah blah. But if it's working right now, let's let's run it up, right? Like let's Let's not overcomplicate the process. Life is pretty freaking simple and ha being happy and being rich and all these different things like that we're learning, right? It's pretty simple. Our bro, brains just, you know, we, we create the complexity behind it. Bro, bro tells me, man, I'm just so anxious all the time. So I got anxiety, this, that, and the third. I said, tell me what you, I said, tell me what your life looks like. He said, what do you mean? I said, just walk me through a week in your life. 
He starts walking me through the week in his life. I said, stop fucking watching TV. Stop looking at the screen first thing in the morning. The world's not out to aspire to get you. Get your ass up and go for a walk in the morning. Go to the gym. I don't have time. You just told me you was three hours of your evening. There's, there's nothing. It's empty space. You drop your kids off at a practice and you sit there for an hour and 45 minutes. I said, you have the time to walk 10,000 steps. You, you have the space for it. You're choosing this. See, we love, we love to act like our problems are outside of our control, but this is my whole philosophy, personal power, responsibility, taking ownership, doing the hard things. Yeah, of course you don't want to walk in the middle of winter around a school while your son is in basketball practice. But if you have 3000 steps that day and you're overweight, you're as better walker. You're not going to be there to play with your son's kids. Take responsibility. Mm. I love it, man. I want to know what it's been like for you and Ash, right? Like you got a very unique situation. It's really cool to see how much you, so, so for people that don't know, uh, you met Ash and I might be butchering the story a little bit, but she already had little crew, her, her son, right? Which you treat exactly like is your son. But one thing you said earlier, which I think is super freaking key married with the kid or not. I think this is super relevant, especially for those with significant other or at least important people in your life is being proactive, proact, proactive, taking responsibility to take action sooner than later, right? To say, whoa, whoa, I came into this relationship. She has a kid. Now this kid can consume us. Now all we're doing is pouring our energy into this kid. The kid leaves when they're 18. The parents realize they, they lost the burning, they lost the flame, right? They lost the fire. The water got thrown onto it. They end up hating each other, get a divorce. You're probably seeing that a lot with men. We also see that with businesses, mm -hmm. right? I'll use myself as an example. I'm dating Brenda. We're in a very serious relationship. We're not married. We have Poppy, our little kid. Crazy as it sounds, we may, I'm putting too much sometimes into my business and these other things, not to the household, right? So what I've seen and recognized in others with, they're married or they have kids or they're like me and they're, they're not married. They don't have kids, but they have like these businesses and obligations. When those things leave the household, you're stuck with each other. Now what? It's staying ahead of that. I'm about to go into three to four months of a podcast tour. Uh Oh, right. Like buckle up. Yeah. What, what do we do now? We're about to bring it. But, but what do you see with, with those, those people that ultimately come to you in those retreats or life coaching, or they're in your DMS and they're like, dude, I'm fat and overweight. Fucking we're just, our kid has practices and blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you keep that spark? Mm. Yeah. With your significant other within. Okay. So this is a good, this is a great question because there's, there's, um, I don't know if there's such thing as a consistent spark. Like the flame will go like, go up then down, just like a regular firewood. If you throw wood on a fire, it's going to blaze for a little while. But if you hang out there a while, it's just going to be the coals. And if you let it sit unattended long enough, the fire goes out and then the coals go cold. So for me in my relationship, it's ensuring that I'm always throwing more logs on the fire. So in order to keep the fire going, I must be proactive in putting logs on the fire. So my wife and I are entering, we are in a season of life right now. I love to place everything around seasons, as you mentioned a few minutes ago. My life, my wife and I are currently in a season of life where January through 
May, June is a sprint for me. I make most of my money the first six months of the year. It's a great time for fitness. I mentioned, I like to have my summers where I'm still working. I'm still doing stuff, but not to the capacity in which I usually am. The sun comes out the in sun comes out. in the Midwest here, right? So we're like, oh fuck, we can actually do something. And I fucking get out of hibernation mode. <laughs> so I like to focus a lot of my energy at the beginning of the year. I am been in business since 2015. So eight years now going on eight years. So I'm beginning to recognize patterns at the beginning of the year. I find myself getting into more arguments and being more short fused and having less connection with my significant other, Ashley, through these seasons. Why? Well, she was working at the time. She's retired now. She doesn't work. So this all is that's great for our relationship, by the way. It's been super good for us. Uh, but she loves passion projects. She's also a uh, a communicator. So she is doing speaking engagements. She leads and hosts women's retreats. Uh, she's a faith-based mindset coach. She's like my spiritual powerhouse, like such an awesome rock. But I realized she's also in a busy season of life right now too, because she's building out her new retreat packets and she has some stuff going on. So the last couple of years, even though I've been busy, she's had more space in her life and in her heart to deal with me maybe being a little short fused to her, maybe being a little anxious in, in our day-to-day -day life because I'm hustling during the season. However, this year, since she's back to doing projects, I can see that, yeah, there's still great feminine energy in our home and there's still some harmony there and some balance, but she's also a little bit more on edge because she's hunting, just like I'm hunting. She's out doing the work. So I've realized that we were like, just kind of missing each other a little bit on intimacy. I realized that we were like, kind of like snapping at each other about stupid shit. Like, I don't know, not putting your clothes away or the dishes being out, like stupid stuff, like things that couples would typically snap at, but it creates like a friction and energy within the home. And I've recognized patterns. Like I'm big on mental models and I'm big on paying attention to patterns. So since I see this pattern happening within my home, I then realized that it's important for me to be proactive and acknowledging the pattern and, and, and what, what's manifested. Like, how is this, how is this pattern created itself? So I sit Ash down and I'm like, Hey, like, I just want to like acknowledge the elephant in the room. I think everything's like chill with us. Like we're doing good. But one thing I am noticing is like, you're being a little short with me and rightfully. So like, I need to put my shit away and stop being a dick. Like stop being snap. I need to listen to you. Ask more. Like I hear this but I'm also feeling a little bit of this type of energy from you as well. And I'll present a few things. And what I realized, babe, is I'm like not taking you on dates. And we ain't been on a date in two months and this and that. And I started explaining a few things that I'm, I'm not, I'm not serving your love languages. Like I'm not rubbing your feet. Like I used to rub your feet. And I just want to be proactive in saying that I want to do this moving forward. So Thursday night, we get a date here. This is where we're going. Dress pretty, take a screenshot of it, center of the place. And it's important now for me to be proactive because I'm the leader of my write home. Write that down. Yeah, write that down. Write that one down right there. I'm the leader in my home. So it's up to me to set the energy. I'm not gonna be like, well, you're this way. So I'm gonna be this way. Well, then we're always in reactive mode. Like mm -hmm. if you're waiting for your significant other to show you more intimacy before you decide to romance her, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Because she's not gonna show you any intimacy unless you do romance her. So someone's gotta fucking go first. So you're gonna have the peasant mentality and sit around, well, she's not like this, so I'm not like this. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like there comes a test to come a time where you stand up and you say, Listen, like I love this woman. I love this dude. 
whatever relation, this doesn't have to be mutual. This doesn't have to be just with a significant other. This could be with a homie. Oh, I'm not calling him because he doesn't call me. Bro, what are you fucking in high school? He's busy. Yeah. He got kids. Of course he's not calling. You got a whole ass life. If you're thinking about calling him, call his ass. Bro, like, bro. Why do we have to wait for other people to come to us for us to respond? Like we're king shit, king tut. Get off your high horse and do the work that you know needs done. So I'd be proactive in my relationships with texting my homies. Uh, and my homies know they can text me 13 times and I won't get back when vice versa. I'll text them 13 times. They won't get back. I don't need that from you. I'm just letting you know, I love you. I'm here for you. So this particular situation with my wife was me being proactive and taking her on dates and romancing her. And guess what? Dude, this was just like three or four weeks ago. Fire. Like it, it fired us restarted. I just put, I put a bunch of logs on a fire. I put like gasoline on a fire. All of a sudden we're connecting, we're vibing, we're flirting. We're right back to where we was. Mm. But it, it took me to go first. Leaders go first. That's it right there. Leaders go first, whether it's masculine energy or feminine energy, I don't know, but leaders go first, right? That said, I believe the most powerful wolf in a wolf pack sometimes does linger, linger behind. So I think it's also kind of good in a sense to take that back role. Sometimes you don't always have in to. In what situation? You're jumping ahead, bro. You're good. You're good at this. It's, it's the, I got this right. And it's understanding that masculine, feminine, it's understanding when to be the front leader the line of the pack. It's understanding when to be the wolf kind of lingering towards behind, right? Letting the weaker go out and you can protect them from the back. So nothing comes in from the back. Right. But in the household, this is where we lead. You're getting up on time. You're taking, you're scheduling the dinner dates, but maybe certain areas of business being able to empower others to say, I got this right. But back, back to the, the point that you shared there, one, I'm going to have to go schedule a date now because, you know, you just put that. Pressure. I got you, Brenda. <laughs> uh, that's, that's phenomenal. And, and it's so true. But one thing I've noticed as well with like my most successful, closest friends and, and what I believe to be the happiest as well are those that actually have their phone on do not disturb. <laughs> if I call you and it goes straight to voicemail, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, he's crushing it. Let me call him three more times. Then that'll get me through yeah, the call. And, and I can text him 37 times or they can text me 37 times. I might respond, might not. But that, that's really just like an all ego thing in itself right there and protecting your time and energy and just kind of being on the same page. But I think that's so important, man, to, to keep that spark keep that spark alive in life and business and relationships. It's, it's what the book is all about. It's what this podcast is all about. We can come on here and we can talk about tax strategies. We can talk about retreats. We can talk about crypto. We can talk about anything and everything, but I personally believe it all starts and ends with the victim mentality. It all starts and ends with the flame. It all starts and ends. Is it gasoline getting poured on there or is it water getting poured on there? And what you said is so key is just throwing the logs on right? Throwing the logs on and you're seeing it every single day with your men of community, people that you're helping guys that you're helping every single day. A lot of them are not throwing the logs on there. Yeah, they're not, but they have good excuses. Yeah. The kid has practice, man. The kid, like they got good excuses. They tell me shit. I'm like, oh, that's real. Like that's a real excuse. So I can validate your excuses, but, but if you want change, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. 
you must learn, you must learn to prioritize being uncomfortable, doing the things that you might not, you might wake up early. There's nothing more attractive to my wife than I'm up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm rolling over and she's like, oh baby, lay back down in bed. And I'm like, I'm going out to fucking hunt. I, I, I do hunt, but like, not like hunt a lot like that. I mean, work like my, I'm, 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 I'm a fucking fucking type on this computer, bro. I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm going to do the fucking Starbucks coffee and I'm hunting. <laughs> No, I'm going out there. I'm being uncomfortable though. Like I'm on sales calls. I'm doing what I got to do. I'm qualifying people. I'm helping guys with millions of dollars scale their bands and business. Um, I'm hunting, I'm doing the work and that's attractive for my wife. And she knows that, oh, like my husband, he supports me, little dude. My I support my mother. I take care of everybody. Like anybody in my sphere, you're, you're being taken care of because I like to go out and get the food. I like to go out and hunt. I'm very like, uh, I like to have that type of mindset with it. And I like to teach the people that I work with that same type of hunting mentality, especially I work with a lot of like uh, blue collar guys. And they're always like, man, Zach, I have a really hard time on sales calls. I'm like, you hunt? He's like, what do you mean? Like you whitetail, like you whitetail hunt. He's like, yeah, I hunt. I said, what time you got to wake up in the morning? He's like, when it's dark out and freezing cold. I'm like, right. I said, how's it feel walking out to the tree stand? cold, rainy. I say, it's uncomfortable, right? He's like, yeah, but you go anyways, right? Yeah. That's your sales call. It's okay to feel uncomfortable on your sales calls. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid. See, you can't have courage without first being fearful because the word courage says strength in the face of fear and adversity. So no man is courageous unless he's first afraid. Mm. So everyone's like, man, you're not afraid of anything. I say, your ass. I just have courage. And a lot of times we're trying to project it onto that other person laying to us in bed or maybe in the bed of business or in the bed of life, whatever that is, is well, you need to set your alarm at 4 a.m. Or you, you hit snooze, you hit that. It's like, you need to drive the kid to practice. You, nah, talk less, do more. You set the alarm, you get your ass up and you go hunt. At Starbucks. Right? Yeah, yeah. Stop so, doing things for your significant other, expecting something in return. Ugh. I hate business relationships like that. I hate that. I love this to be able to serve. Tyler, like I'm coming here to serve you. And he's like, I'll put you in Airbnb. You can stay at my house. I said, don't do none of that. I said, I want this to be frictionless. I'm coming here to serve you. And that's it. If you want to spend one hour with me, say, get the fuck out of here. I'm not hurt. My feelings ain't hurt. But mm -hmm. oftentimes guys are like massage their wife just so they get a blowjob. I know you guys out there. Don't fuck with me. I know you're thinking, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I do try to do it to get a little frisky, you know, it's serve without any expectation. Just selflessly serve your significant others. Serve your friends selflessly without expecting anything in return. Oh, I send uh, my homies, they have, my, all my friends are having babies right now, like baby fever. Me and Ash thought we were pregnant a few weeks ago, but we wasn't. So we're, like, Whoa, shit. Yeah. we're cool with it either way. But anyways, so what I do is I send them all, uh, door dashes. I love modern technology. I can, I can bring the hunt to them. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm sending everyone DoorDash. Hunt. But you ever had DoorDash? Hey, what? <laughs> so I'm sending them all DoorDash, but I have no expectation for them to send me a DoorDash back. Like the, they, even if I did have a kid or not, like regardless, if mm -hmm. we had a new baby in the house, like, I don't expect them to do that. That's something that I want to do for them. Mm -hmm. So I think oftentimes we set ourselves up for frustration and anger because we give with expectation mm -hmm. and we do it no doubt with the people that we're most intimate with. And I'm not just talking physical intimacy, I'm talking friendships as well. Like, Oh, I did this for this friend. So I expect him to do this. 
like uh, I'm best friends with Jay Azotan. He was on the, re- on the, he had, you guys had a great podcast the other week. I know that guy. He's the best bro. He's my, one of my best, he's both of our best friends. This is how Tyler and I met. Jay's been trying to connect us for eight years now. <laughs> like Jay, dude, sh- shut the fuck up, bro. I'll meet him when I meet him. Here we are. Yeah, but Jay, uh, Jay, I, I went on an ayahuasca retreat with Jay as well. I'm really into plant medicine and I believe it's a great self-development tool. So, um, Dude, not even that with his retreats. We were joking about this the other day. Like when I think of his retreats, it's actually kind of like the last thing I think about all the other medicine and like personal development and everything he's doing. Like Jay himself. Yeah. Jay, like, dude, he's, he's, he's doing his thing. I'm proud of him, man. And we've both seen his journey like in different ways, but it's funny because a lot of times people go to those retreats and or ask me about them. I'm like, yo, dude not to take away from the ayahuasca, the medicine, because that's done some things for me that I can't even explain, but all the other stuff that comes with, which is insane. So anyways, always, I love what he's doing. I love it. But I go on a retreat with this guy, my best bud. I can just go, I can just go, but I pay Jay full price. I don't even hesitate. And I say, dude, the send me already invoice. Nah, nah, do send me the invoice. Whatever it is, I'm paying you full price because I respect you. Mm. I, I respect you. I respect your business. I respect the work that you're doing. And I don't expect nothing back. Mm-hmm. So I pay full price. I don't expect him to allow me to come on a retreat just because we have that relationship. I don't expect Tyler Bassetti to put me up in one of his Airbnbs when I'm in town just because we're homies and we're doing business together. Mm. I don't I, We gotta stop putting all these expectations on people. We're gonna fall short and it's only hurting yourself. Now all of a sudden you're welling in frustration and you're creating this movie in your mind about who this individual is. But the reality is you just never, you never had good communication. You had too much expectations of, of what the relationship was supposed to be. You had, uh, you gave with an expectation. Who Who's helping you? I mean, you're doing a lot of uh, coaching and mentorship, but who's coaching, mentoring you? Yeah, that's good. That's a really good question. And I appreciate you asking that question because leadership is lonely and it takes a specific individual to lead me because I love to call out bullshit because people start trying to say things to me. So I just start asking them questions and the next thing I make them run themselves into a circle and they pin themselves against the wall and talk out of two sides of their mouth. So if you want to become a better communicator, I've learned to ask better questions, especially in leadership and in coaching. So it takes a good leader to lead me. And I realize this. So I find leadership through a couple of people, but more specifically that I'm finding leadership in my life right now, PD, both our boy PD, mm-hmm. PD Kinder's great. Jay pours into my life as well, encourages me, motivates me. I have people in my life who are supportive of the things that I'm doing and motivating, but directly who's like, uh, I can go to with things that are going on. It's most definitely PD's one of them and, and my mom. When actually when things are really like, when I'm really like, against like I call my mom like hey you know you fly up to Indy yep I'll get a flight tomorrow she flies up and oftentimes I don't need her to say nothing to me I just need her presence to be with me I just need her to be around me and maybe just be able to complain or bitch a little bit and just for her to be able to understand me to be able to vent and to set me straight and remind me where I come from but just remember when you was in the coal mines and you was going through this, like you can get through this. So my mom has always been just such an anchor for me, but from a more masculine approach, PD's been my, my guy, but other guys like, you know, you and all the other friends who just motivate me and support me. And mm-hmm. that kind of is like, uh, 
I think all men need a whole bunch of homies just like fist bumping. Iron Valley Barbell, my gym, is is a destination gym. People come from all over the nation to be a part of Saturday, 10 a.m. leg day. And this is how it was built. Yeah. Nux. Yeah. I gave and dudes light up. They start smiling. Yo, good job. Yo, good job. You go to a Globo gym, LA Fitness, nobody's knocking nobody. Are you done with this set, bro? Done. But my gym, everyone's like, high. so that's like the baseline of like pouring into people, right? Just like showing gratitude and appreciation. I see you knocking, motivating them. And then there's like layers to like the people who are actually like pouring into my life. They have my next layer up, which would be like my homies who I'm having a little bit more intimate conversation with and like, hey, can I offload something to you and share? And then I have like my top people, which would be I have a counselor who I work with. And naturally I said, my mom and Petey's always a, a good one for me too. He'd be sharing nuggets of wisdom with me that I'm like, Oh, I wasn't even looking for that, but I needed that. Dude. I love Petey, man. He's, you're kind of similar. I mean, I think this is pretty common with people that are successful and have a lot of personal development and just like a really cool, unique story, which technically I believe is all of us, but specific, specifically with Petey, he just always like reminds me he's at like seven different lives. Yeah, he's like when you're running a church like him, one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing church in the world, like, yo, there's a lot of people that are coming to you with problems. A lot of people that are coming to you with life experiences and you, you've seen it all, man. It's like, it's like someone that has a job that you're doing three different roles in two years. It's like you worked six years. Oh dude. And pastors work so hard. Because, you know, in business, you'd be like, fuck you, you're fired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't do that in the church. Fuck you, you're going to hell. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Maybe. Not really. (laughs) But no, I think that's great, man, because I think you got to be a little careful when you're going to those retreats. Like, and this is just me speaking off of my experiences. I'm like, yo, at least right now in my season of life, I'm good. Like, I I ain't chasing the trauma anymore. I'm not chasing the... Negative. I'm done with that pattern. I'm I'm all about how let's have some fun. Let's have a podcast and just talk some shit. Let's just share some value. Let's just talk, right? Like let's just have fun. The money side, I'm good, right? We come from the dirt. We're good. We figured that part out. We don't gotta stay there. Right? We don't gotta stay there. But we become a little obsessed staying there mm. because we're so used to that. And that's what gives us that like certainty and that what's that's what makes us feel better is well up to this point i always felt better when i earned it i always felt better when i earned it and so when we're doing a lot of like pouring into people who's pouring into you right and sometimes you don't even need that you just get it from yourself you just get it from building that lifestyle and it circulates right like a lot of i don't need a lot mm-hmm. like when i'm talking about the people who are pouring into me it's not like i'm calling these people weekly and shit like i don't need it that often yeah like it's extra, I, I get it from pouring. Like I'm, I'm filled up leaving this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like man, me and Tyler just established some shit this weekend that's gonna make a lot of money. And more importantly, it's gonna help a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm filled from that. Like I don't need a counseling session. I don't need to offload no pressure to my mama. Yeah, or dude, like we're just like, I think it was the Jonah Hill movie. I saw this uh, therapist or counselor. It's like we go to our friends or we go to a, our significant others, the people we care about. And we're just talking shit like, yo, this employee did this and this is happening in the business and my, my tires flat, all these different things are going on. 
and we're bitching. And then all of these people try to give us advice or unsolicited advice. And we're like, can you just shut up? I'm just trying to vent. I'm just trying to rant. Whereas when we go to a counselor, the counselor is just taking notes. They're just listening. Whether they're just like sick of hearing the same story over and over, I don't know. But in reality, they know like, oh, we just need a rant. We just need to let that energy go. And then, oh yeah, we're good. We're fine. Just let it go. Move on. Yeah, that's that's good advice too for when the homie calls you and he has like, uh, he's bitching about his wife. I remember this one. I had this friend back home. I'm from West Virginia originally. I was a coal miner in West Virginia, right? So I'm, I called this guy and I'm bitching about my, my wife now at the time. She's my girlfriend. He's like, man, fuck her. And I knew it. Like it felt funny. I'm like, oh, he's not my guy. Like, he knows I love her. But he's telling me, fuck her. Like Ash was just pissing me off about some bullshit. Like it wasn't like she was doing anything mischievous or like, she's a good, like wasn't doing none of that. But he's like, yo, fuck her. And then immediately I was like, I knew that I was like, I... I can't talk to him about this stuff. So you got to pay attention who you're talking to. Because mm. if you're around friends and you're like, man, I can't believe your old lady does that, blah, blah, blah. Bro, you're going to adopt that mindset. Then you're going to go home and you're like, I can't believe you did. Dude, the reason why she's doing that is because you're not romancing her. You was at the bar with your friends complaining about why you don't, why your wife's not giving you head, but you're not even home with your wife serving her love languages or being romancing her. Mm-hmm. It's like we, this is the whole, it's all full circle from the beginning of the podcast. You must take responsibility, even when it's not your fault. It's your responsibility on how you choose to handle it. It comes back to communicating, and it's not the golden rule, you know, talk and treat others how the way you want to be treated. No, you talk and treat others how the hell they want to be treated and communicated to, right? So, the is it the four love languages? That's a, a great book and/or like test I think you can do online, which is like, uh, you know, gifts, it's acts of service where you're doing the dishes or cooking dinner. I believe it's like touch, you know, physical touch. Most, most of us dudes are in the physical touch side. Yeah. We're pretty easy. Yeah. Just sex, you know, old fashioned reach arounds. And, (laughs) uh, I don't even know what the last one is because it doesn't, it's not even relevant to me. But I think it's important, no matter if it's your significant other or even anyone and any anyone and everyone that you're affiliated with in business and life, right? Like how you treat this business partner is not how you're going to treat this other business partner. How you treat this employee is not how you're going to treat this other employee. Like this one needs, this one needs a shoulder rub. This one needs a random letter with the two dollar bill with the little extra bonus check in it. Yeah, this one needs validated. Mm-hmm. This this one needs words of affirmation. That's what it is. I need to be told I'm awesome every once in a while. Yeah. And that's it's good to acknowledge what people need. The best leaders, it's not like these these Enneagrams and, and no offense. Like Enneagram's fine. Like there's all these different methods for corporations to be able to uh, kind of label who people are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. I mean, that's fine and dandy. But if I want to see who people are, I ask them a question or we're in conversation and they light up. And as soon as I see they light up, I'm like, oh, so-and-so loves Starbucks. I'm going to show up tomorrow with a Starbucks gift card. Let them know I see them. Like, dang, bro, thanks. Oh, I, I see so-and-so light up when I encourage them. So I'm going to encourage them more. Like pay attention to people's body language. You know, uh, communication is so much more than the words we share, but also the 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 way that our bodies are positioned. Mm-hmm. Like if our shoulders are square, we're like, yeah, yeah, this guy's in conversation with me. But if I'm kind of like this and I'm, I'm not talking to homie over here, but I'm just kind of like this, I'm ready to be out of the conversation. Read the room for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. So if you want to serve your employees better, 
pay attention to how they're responding in conversation and listen to them. I had this client once and he loved, bro, loved Colts football. And I, I could take it or leave it. Like I watch sports, but not, not like that. Like if it's on, it's on, if it's off, it's off. I'm not really into it like that, but he loved Colts football. And I used to train him on Mondays, Monday morning, 7 a.m. So before I go in on Monday, I checked all the stats from the game before. I seen who they was drafting and what was going on. I came in, I said, damn, brother, did you see so-and-so just got drafted? He's like, dude, did you see that? He, he, this guy lit up. This guy paid me for three years to fitness coach him. He, and he, he said, I'm not eating right. I'm just coming here to check a box. Like no matter what I told him, he didn't care about getting in shape. He just wanted to check a box, go to the gym just to say he did it. That was his goal, just to be at the gym three days a week, not to lose weight, just to maintain. Mm -hmm. But he loved it. Very minimal results because he didn't want to put in any of the nutrition work on the back end, but he paid me for three years. And he's like, I love this, bro. This is the best time of my day because the way I made him feel because I, I looked up five minutes of cold stats. Yeah. I think that's one thing I've noticed from afar too, like watching your journey, which has been really cool is, is meeting people where they're at. And where they want to be too, man. Like I, I get it. No one, you shouldn't be fat and poor. Rule number one for Tyler Bosetti, don't be fat and poor. But like, dude, not everyone's trying to do an Iron Man. Chill out. Not everyone's trying to rip 700 pounds off the ground. Some people like to go run. Some people like to do yoga. And I think that's one thing that's been really cool is you taking that in the fitness realm of like, whoa, there's different journeys here whoa, I don't need to be in a box. I can do life coaching. I can do retreats. I can help Tyler build his personal brand and some other areas in his life. And he can pay me for that life coaching. I just come to Columbus or we go meet up in a different city. We can take a phone call. I think that's where people go wrong a little bit is they niche down, then they don't adapt. It, people like, okay, some people need to niche down because they suck at everything but one thing. Mm -hmm. So the same for everybody. But what I'm about to say is for somebody, you have more than one skill set. Tyler, I told Tyler, I said, Tyler, you could be life coaching. You can life coach me. You know, so much, like we're talking about concepts and I'm sharing ideas and philosophies and you're sharing them right back with me, right in line with me, brother, you can do this. And you're like, so I'm like, dude, you ran a hundred mile race. You mean to tell me you can't teach people the mentality behind running a hundred mile race? You can go into businesses whenever they have their sales staff who are completely in trash, they're in the shit can, they're, they're not motivated, they're not inspired. And you can go in and speak to them for 30 minutes to motivate them and get paid tens of thousands of dollars for what you understand, the mental models that you have. We love to put this box around ourselves, especially high performing individuals who have had success in one space. They latch on. It becomes their identity. They anchor themselves to this idea of like, I need this in order to be successful. And they hold a grip on it. And this is when I realized, and I actually learned this through ice baths a few years ago. I can hold on to anything for a long time. Like if me and you had to hold on to 300 pounds per hand for as long as we could, your ass wouldn't pick it up. But <laughs> not playing, not playing, not playing. No, but if we had to hold on- I would hire somebody to pick it up. So <laughs> if we had to hold on 50 pounds as long as we could, I'm not fucking letting go. I will sit there and I will break my fucking back before I let it go. Oh, that's, that was the same way of my trauma. That was the same way of the anger that I held on to for my father for years and years and years and years. I held on, I held on, I held on. 
then I realized that true strength is your ability to let go. Mm -hmm. Your identity is found in what you can let go of, not hold on to. If I can let go of my trauma, if I can let go of my identity as Zach Homo power, when I can begin to let go of this box that I put myself in, it opens my eyes to my surrounding, like, oh my, like, dude, you can teach people a whole lot about life because you've lived a whole lot of life. Like you've done a really good job at building a personal brand. You really recognize the details and you understand how to communicate with people. You can teach people how to do this as well. But it's until I let go of my identity behind powerlifting that I was able to see that. So when you let go, it creates space in your mind and your heart and your body to be able to see things more clearly. Yeah, that is, that is very true. Well, hmm. you stumped me on that one. I don't know where to go from there. You want to keep going? I would love to keep going. Fuck yeah. Let's uh, you may ask you questions. Hmm. <laughs> Depends what questions. Where were you at Saturday at four? Tell me about your very first real estate deal. Oh man. My first real estate deal, 2016. Back in my day. How, how old were you? 2016? Uh, 21. I just dropped out of college, March of 2016, from the Ohio State University. You was like starting quarterback? Yeah, starting quarterback for the flag football team. Then they moved me to Waterboy. So I went to Wright State University, transferred to Ohio State University, and I was at this job fair, I was trying to find a summer, summer internship. Came back home after like four or five hours of talking to all these dumbass companies in a suit and all this, right? One of my college roommates was like, hey, I want you to meet one of my buddies. He's in the mortgage industry. I had no idea what the hell that meant. I'm like, cool, yeah. I guess he's hiring for people however much money an hour. I'll look into it. He goes, well, he's actually ready to meet with you right now. It's, I don't know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So I drive over to his office, meet with him, meet with his boss. And to make a long story short, they're like, hey, you'll start Monday. I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? I thought I was just coming in to like talk to this guy about some internship, right? And so after a couple months, brand new mortgage company, this guy just started his team to this day. One of my most powerful mentors, Daniel Saw. Shout out to Daniel Saw. He absolutely crushes it, top 1% in the entire country at mortgage lending. But overall, just kind of showed me the ropes of what it meant to be a leader, to run a business, how to consistently learn and grow and just build that identity, right? Like I, he was really my first father figure, right, that I ever had. And in reality, the first person I feel like I could actually relate to with the massive goals that I had as well. He comes to me in March, couple of days before my 21st birthday and proposed that I work full time. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. So I drop out of college, gotten in the mortgage industry. I'm working full time. I'm living in the house of five other roommates still on campus. These kids are going to class, partying it up. I'm working and I'm like, man, I think I fucked up. I'm missing these parties now. What's going on? I used to have a lot of fun. <laughs> But in reality, I put myself in the, the right position to get access to information 
And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they don't get access to the right information, especially now more than ever in the world that we're living in in social media. There's so much information. You can Google things. You can go to YouTube. You can watch this real estate professional, this other real estate professional. People are not getting access to the right information. It doesn't mean that information is bad. It's just not right for you. Mm. So for me, I realized, whoa, these people that I'm kind of starting to get around a little bit, there's something different about them. First and foremost, they don't have anchors, right? They don't have anchors, which are these liabilities, these toxic people, these toxic places and things that they're doing. They have assets, right? They have assets in terms of skill sets, things that are producing cash flow. That's what an asset is. It's things that produce cash flow, right? Something that you can monetize. And so getting into the mortgage industry, getting access to the right information, I start learning about what's called house hacking. What's house hacking? There's many ways to do it. The most simplified, and I believe the most proven, one, I'm biased because I did it. 2016, I bought a duplex in November, a two unit, lived in one side, rented out the other, using a first time home buyer program where I put $0 down on my own money. I paid a little bit more for the property, but the seller covered the closing costs. So I brought $0 to the closing table, but I secured a $300,000 asset using zero of my own dollars, right? Move into one side, rent out the other. I'm living for free. A couple months later, someone breaks into my property, burns it down. I lose everything. What? I never knew this. I'm a year into just move out of my college, just dropped out. I got people talking around me like, why did you drop out of college? What's this? What's he really doing? I'm just in the dark, man. I'm like, I just know what I'm supposed to be doing. But my dad died when I was eight years old from a house fire. So the fire came back. The fire came back and destroyed and I lost everything. I'm on, I'm on, you know, cloud nine, bro. Like I'm crushing, dropped out of college. I come from nothing. I got a real estate property. I got tens of thousands of dollars in my bank account. I'm building this team up, right? I'm learning all these things. I'm at steak dinners, VIP bottle service. Life is good. But if you know anything about me, it's like full steam ahead. Let's go. Unfortunately, if I'm not cautious and keep my head on a swivel, it could be the opposite. Where that fire that keeps me going is the same fire that's going to have things come crashing down. But it's not a matter of, this is where people get caught up, I think, on investing in the real estate. Number one, most people will never buy a property, nor should they. Because my investment philosophy is you invest in who and what you know. If you know how to run a business, and that's what gives you joy, and that gives you the highest ROI, find the Tyler Bosetti that knows how to invest in real estate and maybe lend money to him. But in order to do your seventh deal, in order to build this apartment complex, in order to do a hundred million dollar project, you have to do the first one. A lot of us get analysis paralysis. To have the perfect podcast, we got to have brand deals, the right guests, asking the right questions. No, you got to do the first show, dude. Hey, Tyler, how do I get to 17 doors? How do I, how do I get to 50 doors, right? 50, 50 properties, let's say. How many do you have now? Zero. Okay. Get the first one. Then the second one is inevitable. You just got to know how to do the first one. Yeah, break 
that resistance, break the resistance. Absolutely. Okay, and, wait, what happens after the house burns down? Like what's, what's our next move when the house burns down? It was one of the greatest things that definitely happened to me because a few reasons, as I reflect back on it. Number one, it centered me. It taught me that give people a mile to see if they take an inch, but you got to stay ready, right? You got to stay ready. I could have potentially seen the signs of like, it's a whole other conversation for another day. But what it made me do is I went, whoa, I'm going to sell this property. And I went through a year of investigation because most fires in a house is arson to collect insurance money. The homeowner, AKA me in this example, the insurance company is like, this may be fraudulent. Tyler might've started the fire because I got a check. So they went through all my financials. I was getting interrogated by the police. Holy cow. Right around the corner. I was working. Oh, this is around here? Yeah, just right around the corner here. Every time I see it, I flip it off. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Man. Fucking mother. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a total joke, but not really. But I learned, oh my gosh, dude, this is why I had this property in an LLC. And why my mentor told me, hey, when you buy this property, you should probably quit claim deed over to your LLC, not in Tyler's personal name. So if you do lose everything, they don't take your personal assets. If a tenant dies, the tenant and or its family members or friends or whomever, whomever doesn't sue Tyler. They sue the LLC. Mm. They don't take my personal assets. Number two is insurance. Having the right insurance in place that if you do lose everything and your property like a house fire or flooding, you get paid from it. Most investors in real estate don't even have the right insurance. And, and, and does this go back to them not having the right information? Not having the right information. It's, it's the same thing with what you do. Like you're not going to be able to pull 700 pounds off the ground if you don't understand leverages. You can pull maybe 400, 500, 600, which is respectable, but you're not going to get the world record. I'm not going to be able to build a billion dollar real estate portfolio if the first property doesn't burn down because that teaches me, this is why we understand asset protection, how we structure a deal, how we get a loan, how insurance works. So when I'm raising money from people, whether it's, $50,000 or $50 million, they say, Tyler, what happens if this, I go, when this potentially happens, the house burns down, someone dies in the property, boom, 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 boom. Here's the solutions, mm. right? So that in the moment was terrifying. This is hilarious as I'm talking through this, more things come to mind where I'm like, Greatest thing that happened to me, taught me asset protection, LLCs, how to raise money correctly, all these different things. But guess what Tyler had to do? Tyler thought someone is out to kill him for a year. I go get guns. I was renting Airbnbs, a different Airbnb every week for multiple months because I didn't want anyone to know where I was going if someone was following me, right? I, was, I love mobster movies, so I was, I was doing two laps around the building before I pulled in, right? And- Guess what? When I was paying for those Airbnbs, do you know how pissed off I was? I was paying for those Airbnbs, but it taught me about Airbnbs. Then I got more information on, oh, wait, oh, this is- shut actually, up. This, this is, is where the Airbnb game came from. Absolutely. And this is the whole idea of what I call about turning your pain into purpose, right? Oh, wow. We have every decision that we make that's painful to turn it into our purpose. Losing everything in this house fire taught me a lot about 
whoa, this is maybe a sign from my dad saying to slow down, pay attention, keep your head on the swivel. The fire is like a symbolism of my life. Keep that fire burning, but use that fire in the right way. Make sure that fire is warming everyone up, not burning anyone, right? But also it taught me, I would have never even learned about Airbnb and how much cash flow more you can make and how the operation is ran unless I was hopping in and out of them because I was pissed and, and annoyed by paying for them. Then once I dove deeper into that, I realized, whoa, there's levels to this, right? There's levels to this of the mentality of not if something goes wrong, when something goes wrong, be proactive. It's the same thing you just said about your relationship. Like why take the trip when you're burnt out and not even enjoy it? Why take the dinner date with your significant other and you're both pissed off at each other already? Like why have to go to an investor if something goes wrong? And we're all learning. I'm not perfect, right? But like these are the things that I learned in that first deal that will teach me forever doing my $100 million deal, doing a $50 million deal. But most people will never do that $50 million deal because they never did the first one. Dude, the pain to purpose, the overcoming resistance to do the very first deal. The, I love the pain for purpose. I have a, a cool story to share on there's, there's purpose and pain and adversity and stress. So there is a study done in 1997 called the Biosphere 2 Project. It was done in Oracle, Arizona. And what it was is this enclosed sphere with the Earth's ecosystems. We're trying to see if we can like live on Mars or the moon, whatever. Inside of the sphere, trees would grow much more rapidly than they would outside of the sphere. But before the tree could reach full maturity, it'd fall over. And at first, like scientists are baffled. They're like, well, why? Like, what's going on? But then they realized we're not simulating storms or wind. And since they didn't simulate the storms, the trees didn't have the opportunity to plant their root systems deep enough or to develop this thick outer layer of bark called stress wood that supports the tree at full maturity. So we think our pain and our adversity, like it's out to get us, but the reality is it's sent to us so we can plant our roots deep enough in our understanding and in our beliefs so we can develop this thick outer layer of skin to be able to take the shots that we're going to take as we're bound to go reach our destiny. We're going to take these shots. So this stress, while it sucks when it's happening and it's okay to honor that, like, oh, my house burned down, like this fucking sucks. But to choose and to take responsibility to say, I'm going to have this perspective about this situation, you've now manifested out of it how many million dollar deals? How many people have you led to financial freedom because of your perspective of your pain? Absolutely. And I love that story because a lot of times, especially with the guys like you and I, and a lot of people can relate to this as well as the projection of, oh, you're working a lot. Oh, you're stressed, man. You don't know me. And guess what? Stress is not bad. It's just depending on how it's perceived and where it's exactly showing up. And in reality, I think it's just pressure. People can just handle more pressure than others. And I know a lot of people smarter than me that just can't handle stress and pressure, which is why they'll work for me and or somebody else. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's bad or I'm better than them because I'm the one stroking the check or one of the businesses is stroking them a check. I'm just saying, you're not reaching your full potential. You and I both know it. I can just handle the stress and pressure because life adversity happened. But the key is keeping that adversity because adversity is not bad. If you keep the adversity by doing hard things, 
when life adversity comes around, because it is no matter what age or when or why or what, it's coming. But you just stay ready. It's his idea too. Like, what's your stress anchored in? Whenever you said that yesterday to me, earlier today, we've talked so much, who knows when you said it, but you said something along the lines of like, well, what's, what's the stress anchored in? Is it, is it anchored in self-deprivation, self-doubt? Is the stress anchored in something that is truly bad stress for you? Or is, or is it just stress because you're working on a $50 million deal? Mm-hmm. That's good. That's fine to have a little bit of stress. You're doing something big. And the bigger the things you do, the more responsibility comes with it. And you're, you're going to experience stress. But if you roll over every time you have a little bit of adversity and a little bit of stress, get used to being average. Mm. Get used to never getting the first door. You'll never get your first door. Absolutely. And, and that's where I give people, at least I try to give them the okay of like, you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to be the one buying the property and handling A to Z. Like that's just my thing. That's why I have a team. That's what I've learned over the years. There's sometimes where I'm like, damn, I wish I was just a passive investor, not having to do the work, right? But that comes down to one of my personal core beliefs of money investing is who and what you know. Like, I'm not going to, at least right now in this stage of my life, go lead people through the jungle to work with plant medicine, at least not right now but I'll hand them off to my boy, Jay. If someone wasn't, doesn't want to do that, they want to do a men's retreat in Arizona. I'm going to hand them off to my boy, Zach. Not saying I can't do certain things like that, but who and who and what, you know? So if you want to get into real estate, for example, I have these conversations all the time. Most people say, I want a hundred doors. I want to get into real estate. I want to, I go, and this is what I'm learning is to ask better questions. Why do you want to get in real estate? Why do you want a hundred doors? Well, I want a hundred doors because I want $10,000 of passive income. Okay, cool. So you actually want $10,000 of passive income. It doesn't have to be real estate. What else can it be? Now, do I think real estate's the most proven, the most, uh, you know, recession proof, the best tax strategies? Sure. But that's my personal beliefs because I know it, Right. But I think that's really what the question is for those that are on the fence about investing. They're on the fence about doing something in terms of their money is who and what you know. If your business is growing 50% a year and you're having fun, but you're like, you know what? I want to get some of this 50% working for me or half of it working for me. And I don't want to have to put it back in the business. And I think real estate's the move. I kind of understand it. I get how tenants work. I like my market. It doesn't mean you need to go buy the property. You just need the right information. You need to understand that you can passively invest. You can own an asset with somebody. You can do a joint partnership. And there's an operating agreement on the LLC that says what the roles and responsibility are. John Smith is funding it. This person's doing X, Y, Z. It's no different than anything else in life or business. It's here's the rules. Here's the responsibilities. But a lot of people, I think, make a huge mistake when it comes to investing, specifically investing into real estate. They try to flip the property. They saw how much money everyone made the last couple of years. And now they take that 50% growth of the business that they made. They pull all that cash out. Most importantly, their time and energy and focus on real estate, which, by the way, is pretty freaking boring. And your business is really fun. 
and you make a little bit of money, best case on the real estate deal, in reality, you'll probably break even or potentially even lose money because you don't know what you're doing. You hate it and that's okay. You can make some money. But the point is, is the ROI that you'll have on your time, your energy, focusing on the business growth and then passively investing, I think is oftentimes overlooked. Oh, it most definitely is. I had uh, a bunch of guys a couple years ago hating on me on Twitter. They're like, why do you get other people to cut your grass? I'm like, I call, I have a company called Little Stinkers that comes and pick up my dog shit in the backyard because it's 75 bucks a month and I'm not fucking spending time doing that. I can make way more money on a phone call. I, it takes me an hour, hour and a half to cut my grass. I make over, I, I make a lot of money in an hour, an hour and a half. I'm not, I lose money by cutting my grass. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for me. Well, well, it's good peace at mind. I'm going to go out on the lake and kayak. I'm going to go swim. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to do things that are in line and in harmony with the things that I already enjoy doing that bring more, you know, satisfaction, excitement, enlightenment to my life. I'm going to go take my girl out on a date, go romance her. These are the things I'm going to do with my time. I find this to be true as well. Guys get into anything new, whether it's just like, uh, I, I know this guy, many of these guys uh, that will come to me and they have good jobs, mm-hmm. like HR jobs, where they work 20 hours a week, but they see people flaunting all this money on social media and on Twitter. Like, oh bro, I want to get that money. This and a third. I'm like, bro, you're making $300,000 a year working 20 hours a week. You're not going to do that for a long time in your online business. So just chill. Like if you want to do it because it's you're passionate about it, then go ahead and do it. And it goes down to these questions. And this is what I really solve for guys. Instead of telling them what to do, I ask questions. Just as you said, well, what do you really want? I want freedom. Well, you only work 20 hours a week. What is your current situation not allowing you to do? Like, What type of freedom are you? can you not get from your current situation? Some guys can't answer that. They're like, oh, I realize that's probably not it. I do have a lot of freedom in my current situation. Other guys like myself, they're working 12 hours a day in a coal mine. They're like, I want freedom. I'm like, I bet. Mm-hmm. Different situation. But oftentimes guys will actually go backwards trying to start their own brand or build their own business because they already have a good thing going. Mm-hmm. Their space was fine. But now all of a sudden they stop doing this. They try to try their hand over here because they're sold on the flashy things. They do the e-commerce route. They try to get an Amazon store. They lose 30, 40, 50, $100,000. And now they're back working that job again. But now the position of the corporation is even lower because they've been out of the business for two years. It's a mess. So it's like being strategic about when you decide to move forward in any investment or side business, whatever it is, it's good to ask yourself the hard questions and don't live in the dream state. People live in, if I had a hundred doors, I make $10,000 and they're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Well, what about all the struggle and adversity and money you're going to lose? Just so you know, it's going to take twice the amount of time and double the money too. Yeah. Like you got to factor these, these into the equation, not just the dream state. Yeah. And then it's asking that question too. Well, how would you feel if you had $5,000 passively coming in with zero time? That sounds pretty good too. Just invest with me or invest with your friend. It's, it's really, I believe, an information game. And are you getting access to the right information? I think we live in a world of illusions. Drink a gallon of water a day. Now nah, that water's full of fluoride, bro. That third eye was already hardened. It's, it is fucking rock solid now. You just need some minerals. You need to understand how to hydrate yourself, right? It's just... You need more coffee. 
you need more coffee. Just slam some more coffee and get more caffeine and some more bone broth. If you want to sponsor my bone broth, just comment below. But in reality, it's an information game, right? It's how do I get information? How do I get the right information? How do I collapse the time? That's why we pay for coaches and mentors. That's why we listen to podcasts. That's why we read books. That's why when a civilization is getting conquered, they burn the library down. It's the information. It's why the news and the media and the world that we're living in now is so unique because we're starting to see what that, what that really means, what it means to get canceled, what it means to have an opinion, information. It's why Kanye will go on a podcast and say some crazy stuff about Jews and they, they're, you know, blah, blah, blah in the contract. It's information. They're, most of them are lawyers, right? And so it's information game. You make the law because you have the information, you rule the land. Or if you have the land, you make the law. So how do I get information? How do I get the right information for me? Mm. And I believe you do that by taking some ayahuasca, I guess. It definitely helps. <laughs> yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people, asking the right questions. A lot of people just want to tell you what they know. You want to learn, just ask questions. Everyone's like, oh, I need a mentor. I'm in the mentorship space. I'm in the self-development space. You don't need to hire me. You need to ask the old guy sitting at the coffee table about life. He's going to give you something way better. I'm going to give you. Mm. Ask him, just go talk to him. You need to ask your grandpa. You need to stop talking over people. You need to listen. Mm. You got to ask better questions. Oftentimes the answers are right in front of you, but you're not asking the questions to get them because your ego is telling you know it all already. Yeah. I agree. I agree. As far as your business experiences up to this point, what is something that you need to do? One thing you need to do way more of and or way less of to get to like that next level or next step of where you want to be. Yeah. 2019, I started networking pretty heavily and that was something I was really lacking in my business at the beginning. I was, uh, I've never been a self-made guy by any stretch of imagination, but I like to just do things myself. Um, people support me a ton along the way and I'm on record through social media, always talking about all of the people who have made me, me. But when I began networking, it just opened me up, this kind of whole idea. It's just like uh, who you know. And networking has really helped my business grow a ton because now I can be around and bump shoulders, bump shoulders with people who are of influence and I can share who I am as an individual. And I truly believe if I can just get one-on-one -on -one time with you or time with you in a setting and to ask you some questions, I can dig some stuff out and I can show you that I'm a value to a mm -hmm. relationship. I'm a valuable person in a relationship. If anything else, you just like to be around me because I can be a good time and I can fit in kind of in most environments, whether it's a party setting, I can go do ayahuasca, I can grind it out at the gym, I can sit with you in a business meeting and be professional when I got to be professional. So networking, doing more networking is extremely important and something I need to do way more of and something I'm continually doing more of. And uh, like my travel budget just went through the roof. Like I spend way more time traveling now to do so. How does somebody network? Because... Obviously, there's local events. Maybe you can Google a local real estate meetup. You can go to a, a gym where there's an open training session. 
There's an event that you can pay for and attend. But how, how does someone network more? And this is kind of a loaded question a little bit with how does let's grab coffee, pick your brain guy network? Yeah, that's not the right because that's like, get like all oh, this grab coffee. But the only reason you want to grab coffee is to grab information from him. So it's just like, it's a funky way to start a relationship. If I'm in a, if I'm approaching a network setting, I like to be in a setting that I can offer value to the individual. I don't go expecting value. I go to expect to give value. Mm. So all the ways that you communicated on networking events, gym meetups, uh, I mean, coffee can fit in there time to time. Church settings are also great. There's a lot of very smart, very wealthy people inside of church settings, especially like non-denominational, bigger style churches get into groups. They have men's nights. Uh, they're always doing different meetups and stuff around the city to be able to give back to the community. All great ways to network. But networking is so easy because once you go into one or two of these environments, you're going to connect with one or two people and then they're going to introduce you to their more tight-knit network. And then to the, you're going to connect with the people in that tight-knit tight knit network who's going to introduce you to their also other tight-knit network. Next thing you know, you're in the weeds. You're like five, six different people in like, uh, in, into the weeds with things go into like your community where there's these, there's like co-spaces. There's one in Indy that's rock climbing, but they're also doing like podcasting in there. So, you know, people are of influence. Mm -hmm. They're cool people cause they're rock climbing. They have like community area where everyone's like working and jamming out on coffee. So you're just going to bump shoulders with people who are of influence and then just showing who you are, meeting them, meeting them where they're at, if they're working out, giving them a spot, uh, we host a Saturday 10 a.m. leg day at Iron Valley Barbell. So a lot of my networking now as well as bringing people to me. It's like, yo, come to Saturday 10 a.m. leg day, come to my conference. So I'm creating opportunities for people to network around me because I've positioned myself of someone of influence that I don't necessarily have to go into other networks where I can bring networks to me and then being associated with people like you. Now I'm affiliated with your network. So you're like, yo, Zach, come with me to Miami. We're going to go X, Y, Z. So I'm not going to go down there and meet Tony in Miami and be like, Oh, what can I get from Tony? Rather. So I just share time with Tony and Tony's like, Oh, Ty, like what's Zach's story, bro? Like let's, let's connect with him. So I think when you go into these spaces, when you go without expectation, you need to go for just the process of networking, mm -hmm. becoming a better communicator and the art of relatability. Stop being combative with what people say. Like when people say shit, like if I don't agree with an opinion you share, I just know that there's probably not gonna be a lot more, and this is like maybe fundamental opinions, right? Like, let's say like you're just super money hungry and I'm more mission and passion driven. Well, if I can feel him, oh, that's not quite the energy that I want, but I'm not going to be combative with him in this moment because he might introduce me to a guy who's also more mission driven and people driven and I'll go connect with him. So stop burning bridges. Just leave them unattended. Yeah, I like that. And one thing I like that you said, I think is oftentimes overlooked and it's funny, that's like one of the core pieces everyone talks about all the time. Network, 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 mastermind, blah, blah, blah. If you're the one trying to grab coffee and pick people's brains, you create the network. You create the local meetup event around real estate. Even if you don't know anything about real estate, but you want to learn more, you say, I'm going to create a Columbus, Ohio real estate investor event every Thursday. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to lock in some sponsors, maybe put a little bit of my cash into it if I can, or maybe I'm going to just put this person up on a pedestal and say, you're going to be the first speaker 
for 20 minutes teaching us how Tyler Bassetti got his first property. So sometimes you don't even need to be the expert at all. You need to allow other people to be the expert and just bring them together, which is what you did with obviously the expert at the gym. I'm just using the gym as an example. You said, well, wait, I don't really want and or nowhere else to go to network. People are just going to come to me to network. Right. And I think that's oftentimes not considered when people DM me like wanting something from me or to pick my brain about real estate. I'm like, you go create the network. So make it attractive for me. Like I've, I've helped replicate this for a lot of people too. Uh, Jay as well. We're partnered uh, a couple other guys I'm partnered with social media and they live in warmer climates, uh, which is they can host weekly meetups for like physical training year round. So they host free workouts on Thursdays or whatever date it is for their location, Austin or Phoenix or California, wherever they're at, they host a meetup. And then every week you're like, yo, bring a friend next week. And it's a free workout and they do their lift and they do like some breath work or whatever. And we kind of set up a little strategy. I ensure that whoever's leading the group has to be in better shape than the rest of them. So he can do the workouts plus motivate them and encourage them simultaneously. So he positions himself as a leader in the space. And then now guys come up like, yo, what's your story, Zach? Yo, what's your story, Jay? Yo, what's your story, Ty? And now we're talking back and forth and like, dude, you would really jam with my buddy, Bob. I'm gonna connect you guys. Like, yeah, bring him next week. Mm-hmm. So I have guys that I'm working with who are establishing personal brands and businesses who are doing weekly meetups for free and networking through the, the event. Also areas like Columbus, uh, Indianapolis, like name a big city, uh, any city, like, uh, Austin, Texas, LA, like there's cool shit going on. People are building businesses. People are building brands. People are meeting up. Mm-hmm. Just fucking go. Mm-hmm. Like you hear about it. Like you see these people on social media and, and Tyler posts, you oh, I got InvestorCon coming up in six months. Like be there, mm-hmm. like go. Like if you want to get coffee with Tyler, pay him to go listen to him speak, bump shoulders with him and his community and his guys. And I think that's one thing that people are like entitled though. They believe that, oh, you should come grab coffee for this. And if people ask like, oh, you grab coffee, I'm like, yeah, I'm 500 bucks. They're like, for coffee? I'm like, oh, plus coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'll just throw, I'll throw 10,000. Like if I really don't want to go, like, 10,000 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go $10,000. They're like, 10,000, like, what do you mean? Like, well, plus coffee. So like, we go to Starbucks, like 10,325. <laughs> that creamer, man, inflation is by like <laughs> another 14 cents. No, I hear you. And that's, that's it right there. It's like this sense of like entitlement and it's frustrating for guys um, like you and I, because it's like, we know the time, the energy, checking the bank accounts and seeing numbers that we didn't want to see because we were stroking checks to get the information. We were putting the time searching for the answer on YouTube. We were putting the time and energy, figuring out the answer the hard way. And, and that word entitlement is so true where there's also data that shows that if people don't pay, they're not committed. I would much rather always overpay and know in a weird way, like I probably overpaid for this product, service or event or for whatever, but now I'm more attached to it. Now, now I got to Now I got to actually implement when you go to some event you know how many times, like it's, it's very obvious that there's like 37 things that you want to implement. Like you probably only need to do like one, one, maybe three. You probably can't even do three. Yeah. Like, unless you're extremely high performing. Exactly. And that's, that's something that we've learned over the years is we do like annually at 0%, we do like an annual planning session. Here's what success looks like. 
as far as like measurable money, right? Here's how much revenue we want to do. Okay, cool. That's going to put us down to each month. Great. But in reality, let's focus on quarter one. Like what do we actually need to do? And we set what's called initiatives. And we've discovered over the years, we've had three or four initiatives. When we've had three or four, when we've had three plus, we've either gotten one or nothing done. When we've only had one or two like big initiatives, we've knocked it out of the park. That's great data. There's this painter. He's a famous painter and he goes into a local coffee shop and he's doodling on a piece of paper, a napkin. He's doodling on a napkin. He's doodling. And this lady sees him from the corner. She's like, oh, that's, that's the famous painter. Like he's, he's doodling on a napkin. He goes, he's done with his coffee, grabs a piece of paper. He takes it, he gets ready to throw it in the garbage. And he goes, oh, sir, 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 sir. I just noticed who you are. Like, could I, could I have the piece of paper? Could, could I have the napkin? He looks at her and says, yeah, sure. $20,000. She goes, $20,000? It just took you two seconds to do that. Why would I give you $20,000 for this? He says, mm. he throws it away. He goes, I've spent the last 30 years being able to do that in 20 seconds. People want one hour of your time, but the reality is they're getting tens of thousands of hours of your time. And that's what they can't see. Mm. That's collapse. a real story, actually. And I just forget who the painter was, but I heard it in a book once. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a good example because that's what's happening when people want to get coffee with me or whatever. Yeah, they just, uh, you're missing out on all the work that I was doing before. Like, yeah, it's just an hour, but you're, you're paying for this information that I've been able to acquire to real world experience. And that's another thing. Like, this is not just information you're learning. Like, yeah, you've probably learned a lot from YouTube and let's never discredit YouTube University, but it's because your apartment broke down. Mm -hmm. It's because you was living in Airbnbs. Like these are the teaching moments of your life. And that is worth your time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the point of saying like, if you're the person asking to grab coffee to pick someone's brain, your intention may not be bad. You just have to understand, and you may never, but on the other side, that person had to put in likely years, their whole life, they had to put in a lot to be able to share in that hour, like you said, years and years and years of time. So your intention might not be bad, but it is selfish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just... There's just a better way to approach it. <laughs> I think we just said there's just a better way to approach it. That said, though, like, it doesn't mean you can't grab coffee. It could say, like, hey, are you bringing, are you looking for an intern or someone that can help you scan papers or pick up coffee or set up the studio or make sure, like, there's so many things, right? Like, but I just know from people I've been around, the, the ones around me stroking checks, they're doing it because they want one to a couple things, whether it's 50 grand, 5 million or 5,000. They just want to collapse the time. What does Zach know that he's learned in 15 years that I can learn in 15 minutes? That's why you pay whatever price that is. And, and some things are not going to be always super measurable. And that's where I believe most people go wrong when it comes to investing. They try to go get the investment property, the first one, but they never do because they're worried about the 50th and or they shouldn't 
because they need to be focused on their business. They need to be focused on what they can control. So what do I know? What do I know, Zach? All right, dude, as we close this out, I want to ask you one final question. And let's get the drum roll started here. What are you doing right now in your life to make sure you're not doing all of this for nothing? That's a great, that's a great question. What am I doing right now in my life to ensure that I'm not doing this all for nothing? I believe this is going to be a relatively easy question for me to answer because what I do on a day-to-day basis has a ton of purpose behind it. I feel a ton of purpose in pouring into individuals and seeing marriages on the brink of failure come back, rekindle and prosper, being on the phone with men who are on the brink of suicide and I'm their last ditch effort to talk to me on the phone and I've been talking on the phone now for two years, seeing guys come into my gym, scrawny, fat, whatever, to now be jacked, slim, better love life. So the work that I'm already doing already has so much purpose and I feel like I'm already doing it for so many reasons. It's just so dense already that every day it feels like I'm doing it for something. And I know the work that I do is not for everybody, but I know it's for somebody. Boom. Let's go. Love you, brother. Thanks for having me on the show. I love you too, brother. Thank you for coming on. The man, the myth, the legend, the human mother fucking, (laughs) I don't even know, a specimen. Like you're more than a specimen, man. But I appreciate you coming on, bro. Thank you, brother. Love you, bro. Thank you.